Internet, welcome back to another episode of the Premium Pete Show. Man, it feels great to be back on the airways, man. A couple episodes before, I don't think I put a bumper in front. But listen, I want to let the Internet know worldwide. When I tell you, open up your Twitter app, open up your Instagram app, at Premium Pete, at Premium Pete Show. You know what I always say. Check the fuck in. Let me know where you're listening from. I, I love when people let me know what episode they listen to and where they listen to. Toronto's on the check-in. Shouts to you, Toronto. Hopefully you can uh, score some wins against these Warriors. Uh, take them down. But more importantly, man, uh, worldwide, man, international, uh, um, whether it be in the States or whatever, I appreciate each and everybody listening to the Premium Pete Show. Uh, some people are like, yo, Pete, man, you know, your podcast has gotten me through a lot of, you know, hard times and, you know, through work, through different, you know, what can I do for you? What can you do for me? Tell a friend to tell a friend. And then where you're at, if you want to, if you fuck with, uh, you know, uh, iTunes, rate it five stars, uh, drop a comment, tell a friend to tell a friend about the Premium Pete Show. Listen, before we get to this week's episode, you know I always on my Pastor Pete stuff. I've been uh, ripping and running. I'll be in Chicago next month. Uh, I actually maybe even going to fucking Japan. I can't believe that shit. At the end of June, I may be going to Japan. So, internet's man, like it's like, man, I don't know. I've never been there, so I gotta mark that off the bucket list. But uh, listen, on my Twitter at Premium Pete and Instagram at Premium Pete. The other day, I put stop talking yourself out of doing things. You are good enough. Hold on, let me say that again. Stop talking yourself out of doing things. You are good enough. And I just wrote, it's a daily reminder. Yeah, I mean, so many of us, even myself over the years, you know, you may have a project you want to work on and you talk yourself out of it. Ah, you know, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know. No, do it. What's the worst, what's the worst that could happen? It don't work? So then you fucking do something else, okay? Don't think so much like that. Uh, stay on point and, and, and you're good to go, you know what I mean? And, and listen, if you have any questions, any problems, any any things you're going through, or what, hit me up, thepremiumpeatshow at gmail.com. That's right, email me, thepremiumpeatshow at gmail.com. You want to talk about producing or podcasting or whatever, just don't be bothering me about no fucking uh, uh, dollar pizza. I don't, I don't answer those fucking emails. Anyway, internets, on this week's episode, okay, here's a guy that is not a household name, and, and I'll be honest with you, he prefers it that way. The one and only, the legendary, Ryan Shinman, okay? This dude, let me tell you something, has, has been responsible for orchestrating some of the largest endorsement deals ever made, okay? He talks about everything and drops so much knowledge on the marketing game, negotiating some of the biggest multi-million dollar deals for AT&T, Pepsi, AOL, and more, okay? This dude has worked with everyone from J-Lo to Metallica, okay? You know the Weight Watchers deal for Oprah, Khaled? Yeah, yeah, he's been involved in that. Him, his team, and so many other people. Let me tell you something. He's a real good fella. He's one of those dudes behind the scenes. I don't even think he's on fucking social media. So, you know what I mean? So, internet, I love these episodes where I could put you on to somebody who you may not know of, but you're like, fuck, I'm so glad that I pressed play. Internets, okay? I appreciate you. Remember, at Premium P, at Premium P Show, check the fuck in. Let me know where you're listening from. Let me know what you're listening to. But now, okay, enjoy these gems. Enjoy. You want to learn about the entertainment business. You want to learn about the contractual business. You want to learn about just how to make it, okay? Internets, I present to you the Ryan Shinman episode of the Premium Pete Show. Let's get to it. Cheers.
Yo, what's up, y'all? This is Fat Man Scoop, the other smooth voice of the club, the two-time Grammy Award winner. Let me make this official for you. Fat Man Scoop, Cork McClan, Internets. It's time to go with my dude, Premium Pete. Let's get focused. Let's go. Internets, let's turn up one time. Premium Pete. Come on, everybody get set. Let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up. It's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low, listen to the show cause milk said so fuck what you heard better act like you know it's the premium pete show internet's welcome back to another episode of the premium pete show sitting down here with a very good fellow okay uh first of all whenever my guy marks a blau and that may be the first time i pronounce his name right usually i say zablowski or zablau or all these fucking different names. whenever he connects me with people i mean whether it be eugene rem or 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 mad higgins or or uh uh uh, Michael Astoria or Aton Sugarman. I mean, there's so many fucking good fellas uh, uh, coming out of New York City, coming out of really just 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 in in, in a lane of where you may not know of them, uh, but their story is 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 not only insane but more so inspiring. Um, listen, there's so many things I could call. I, I don't even want to start to call you entrepreneur because I think that's like a new fad name, but you are, right? I call you, uh, they, they call you like a celebrity broker. They call you like, uh, uh, what, what's some other names they called you before I even bring you in? Oh, wait, wait let's well, bring well, the fucking mic to you. There well, we go. Well, I, I, I think the, the, a couple names have stuck with me. Uh, my nickname for a while was Ferris, okay, a.k.a. Ferris, Ferris Bueller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Puffy calls me the check writer. Okay, there we go. Uh, that's, that's never a bad uh, name. Uh, uh, other times, people call me an asshole. Okay, uh, hey, listen, you know, I've, I've, I've gotten that once in a while. Uh, but but really, it's it's about I'm, I'm the deal guy. People just look at me and say, hey, that's the deal guy. That's the deal maker. Internet's uh, the one and only Ryan Shinman is in the building. Listen, uh, I, one thing, when... when Marco introduced me to you and and I learned more about your story and you know we'll get into it all but it's like I said to myself wow it's like so this is what I love the episodes I love and the audience loves like people they may not know of you know sometimes I think like in the world we look for uh, uh you know uh, oh let's click on Justin Timberlake let's click on uh, uh this let's click on this you know and nothing wrong with that but you know there's so many episodes and there's so many people that are doing so many things that people may not know of that is really like the glue behind so many things. And that's that's the episodes I enjoy sitting down with because that's how you find out like really how, how the movers and shakers move, you know? So let's take it let's take it a quick way. You grew up in Jersey? I'm a, I'm a Jersey kid through and through, born in Brooklyn, and then oh, nice, uh, nice. born in Brooklyn, and then uh, head over to a very fancy part of Jersey, West Orange, New Jersey. West Orange. You know all well, very bougie there, let me tell you. Uh, so for people listening who don't even know like West Orange, uh, New Jersey, take them through like what that was like growing up there. I, I think for Jersey, for me, you know, uh, something that I, you know, I, I didn't know growing up much. I went to public school until sixth grade there. Uh, very mixed town. Uh, grew up very middle class. I thought we were rich, but we were we, we were middle class. Sure. You know, both my parents worked. What they do? Uh, what, what my mom dad, do? my mom, my dad was an engineer. Worked for my grandfather's company. Hated going to work every day of his life. My mom went back to school when I was in seventh grade to get her doctorate to be a, a family therapist because we needed the money. And my my mom was brilliant and. Uh, uh, my dad would rather be golfing, sure, uh, sure. but but had to go to a job every day that he absolutely hated. So, you know, I grew up there not wanting for anything. I went to summer camp. I, 
you know, I, I thought we had money, but we didn't. Yeah. Uh, so they sheltered me pretty, pretty good. Again, you know, it's not like uh, we had fancy, you know, my, we had like a Mercury Sable, Ford Doors. Yeah, yeah. But again, I, I didn't know any better. Sure. Um, but, you know, every meal, we never went out to dinner. I mean, I would say once a month, maybe Chinese, but every meal was at the dining room table. You know, again, I'm uh, 47 years old, so it's a little, little different late 70s, early yeah, sure, 80s. Sure. Kid. But family dinners were important. That's all we knew. I mean, we legitimately, every night, we'd sit down to dinner, 6.30, tell me about your day, tell me about school. We always had people over the house. It was kind of like very weird. We, we only had a real two-bedroom house, but my, my sister, who had to go through my room, lived in like what, like a cedar closet, mm. and she had to get, I used to lock her in there, put a couch in front of it, because <laughs> she couldn't get to the rest of the house without going through my room and sharing a bathroom. But... You know, it was a lot of fun. We never locked our doors. Uh, there was no crime in the 70s in West Orange, New Jersey. And uh, we always had people. I mean, we'd have the tennis pro. He'd come and live with us. And then we'd have a housekeeper. And instead of paying her, we let her and her husband live with us in the basement. And it was it was a legitimately free-for-all. My mom would have guests at dinner almost every night. It was never—I don't remember a dinner growing up where it was just my parents, my sister, and I. There was always someone. <laughs> and then my grandmother, uh, who died when, when, when I was 17 when she was about 88, 89 years old, lived with us the last eight years of her life in, I don't even want to call it a sitting room. There was a room off the kitchen that might have been like 200 by 300 that, you know, we turned in a hospital bed and kind of a TV and that's where she lived. But family was uh, and still is beyond important to me. You know, it's funny you say that because growing up, I grew up uh, similar to uh, the family aspect and uh you know, my father and mother, no matter what it was, they made sure that we, you know, we all ate dinner together. And and, and it's crazy because when I got married many years ago and I got divorced two years later, I was very hurt that I didn't, you know, I, I was raising my daughter as a separated dad. I would make the most of my time, but I didn't have that dinner table that I wanted to have. And that's all I knew when I grew up. And, you know, so it, it, I'm glad that I was able to, uh, you know, later on get it back. But the point I'm trying to make is not with her, meaning move on, but, but, the, the it was so important to me uh, uh, to sit and eat as a family. Um, it was one of the few times where like my pops would ask you know everybody how their day was and the interaction because I you know I don't know if, you know and and we'll get into it about your relationship with your father but like pops is a great guy I love him you know he, he's a great friend I'm, he's like a besides a mentor he's a friend now but um they they weren't I don't know if it's just Italians I I don't know but he 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 wasn't very um. He, he didn't always ask like how how are you really doing you know what I mean or how like hey, you're right how's everything you well, know my dad my dad for me was the opposite he had a very my grandfather was uber wealthy and my grand my father grew up not not spending any time with his father he was closer to the chauffeur than he was to his dad sure. uh, and then uh, my grandfather later in life lost it all he got sick and people stole and you know you're talking about my dad who legitimately drove around a limousine and had my grandfather had a DC-10 when no one had their own plane he had the company plane they would go down to Florida uh, meet with presidents and admirals my grandfather's company made motors and generators for the government for tanks plane land rovers uh, you know uh, missile crews he was a brilliant engineer he actually came up with the transistor to launch uh, missiles off off cruise ships to bomb people. But then, you know, obviously, if you think about wars ending in the late 70s, sure. 80s, it became like basically go fixing part company. And again, a lot of stuff happened where where I we basically didn't have that money. 
uh, growing up. But I, but because he didn't have a relationship with his dad, and when they did have dinners, he had to wear a tie and jacket to dinner with his father every night. Uh, when his father was there and called him sir and didn't have that. My dad was one of the best golfers in the country as a junior. And uh, my grandfather, I think, went to two matches his whole life. Really? Uh, he was captain of the University of Miami golf team. He's a very famous golfer. My dad in the amateur circles and uh, holds a lot of records in golf. And my, my grandfather never was a part of that. So I think my dad compensated and was actually my tennis coach, came to every Little League game, was the Little League coach, helped me with my homework picked me up from school and would leave work early like super dad and again my mom I cut some slack and I'm very close to my mom but my dad's my best friend still to this day he has dementia Alzheimer's right now so it's a little harder over the past couple years but uh, you want to talk about super dad if I'm half the dad to my kids that my dad was to me and that's what made me who I am I mean I was the only if you want to call me a nerd in college that every day called their father from school and people were like didn't you speak to your dad yesterday I was like yeah twice but now I want to talk to him today <laughs> uh, you know sometimes we'd sit in hours on a Sunday when my friends were off running around and we'd be watching a golf tournament I'd stay on the phone with them for three hours during the golf tournament talking about shots and I didn't even play golf till after college but I would watch golf with my father I'm like a six seven handicap now I'm, I'm good enough uh, yeah. and I have some fun with it but I didn't play growing up because he was so good I didn't want to live up to that sure, but anyway sure. you know it it's actually coming from a background where I had an unbelievable mom, but I had super dad. So I obviously know that's what helped shape my sure, life. Sure. But I don't even mind saying this now. He wasn't a successful business guy. He was always trying something. He never liked his job. Again, he did just fine. But, you know, watching him struggle later in life before he retired, uh you know, trying different things and not being successful at it, you know, side projects well, was hurtful because, you know, you want to see him succeed. Sure. Um, Did that teach you uh, anything to where you are now? Like when you watched him growing up, you know, probably investing in other stuff and then not working out. Does it make I, you I think, I think it wasn't even investing. I think he was just trying different things to supplement his income and to try to do different things. And, you know, I always, my drive and my passion and my, always willingness to work and 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 fucking kill it comes from I almost because my grandfather died that I was talking about when I was four my, my mom's side my grandfather was a concert pianist who spent all his money and lost it all on the track and my grandmother was a ballerina but my my grandfather that I was just talking about before that was very successful his wife my grandmother who died when I was 13 was one of the first female pilots flew with Amelia Earhart first female uh, ham radio operator, head of this, done this, swim club, every accolade, master bridge player, master chess player. Uh, She was a a woman dynamo dynamo before her time. But, you know, because my grandfather died when I was four, my drive was always, I want to be as successful as my grandfather was because I have articles and newspaper clippings and I'm kind of the family historian who took it all and put it together and paid somebody to really kind of find out that family history. And in my mind, I was always like, if my grandfather was alive, I wanted him to look at me as a business guy where my dad fell off. I want him to be like, okay, it skipped a generation, but you want to know what? I, you know, I, my grandson fucking murdered it. 
And that's what drove me. If you want to get deep, that's yeah. what drove yeah, me. And I like that. I like that. More importantly, too, when you look at like your father, your grandfather, and just the history of, of, of business, like when you were young at that age, even like a young kid, like teenager, just say. Yeah. Like what, what was your like first job? Like what did you even want to do? That, it's a crazy story. So I went uh, to University of Florida after, after college. I majored in journalism and telecom not knowing what I wanted to do. Why no far, clue. Why far, but, if you don't mind me asking. Uh, I I visited. Uh, I couldn't make the team uh, as a scholarship, but I won the walk-on tournament for tennis freshman and sophomore year. So I got to practice with okay. the team. I uh, was never really part of the team, but got to practice. Won the walk-on against sophomore year. Uh, I went down there because the coach said he'd let me play in the walk-on tournament, and I have a good chance to win. And uh, it had eight pools on campus. Every girl was hot. The high school I went to had a hundred kids a grade. Where you grew up with these kids, I did. For from sixth grade to, to, to 12, and I just wanted to be somewhere where it was warm, where there was hot girls, and it was fun. And I also wanted the ability to meet new people every day. I felt like I was a little bit in a fishbowl because you grow up with the same kids, and you know, my friends would go in the city. I never kind of went. I was like a little bit of a goody two shoes. I won biggest brown noser as my, yeah. you know, class kind of thing. Cla- I won class flirt and biggest brown noser. So, uh, you know, I was a, a little bit brown of a goody two shoes, but I wasn't the goody two shoes. I got straight A's. I was like a three O and go kind of guy. Yeah. So I, I shouldn't have gotten into Florida. My forehand got me into Florida, but I went there because I was, it was the only school I even applied to. Didn't apply to another school. Applied early. It was the first one in my senior class into college, like third day of school. I got in, so my senior year, I whatever. But I went down there not knowing what I'd do, other than my dad, who drove me down there. We drove uh, a used Chevy Blazer that I got from selling and trading baseball cards, very similar to a couple of your other guests. That was my first love. My first deal-making was baseball cards. I used to set up at shows, buy, sell, trade. My dad used to give me $5 you know, a month. Then it went to 10 and I used to buy and sell cards. It paid for half my car. My dad said, whatever you put up for your car, I'll match. So that's how I got my used Chevy Blazer with 80,000 miles on it to drive down to Florida. My dad, and my dad said three things. He goes, Ryan, have fun in college. Have fun, number one. Number two, go to class. Because I heard a third of the class, you know, fails out at University of Florida. And number three, have fun. That's it. That was his advice to me. And he said, enjoy the college experience. And I did. I, I, you know, I went to tennis practice a little bit. But what happened was, is during sub. And by the way, during that time, I didn't think I was going to rush a fraternity. I did this and that. But I always wanted to do business down there, so I did the message boards back in the day. That was big, where you you get a message board, you sell it to the freshman dorm, and people would put it on their door, like not here today, and they'd whiteboard it. Then I did T-shirts and you know made T-shirts and sold them for the fraternities. Then I got a fake ID and I bought liquor for the fraternities and buy and sell liquor. So I was always trying to hustle. Um, but still didn't know what I wanted to do. Sophomore year, I blew out my knee, so I wasn't going to get a chance my junior year to try to walk on again. And I was friends with the athletes. A lot of the athletes, uh, even though, I again, I didn't play a match, I walked around with a Florida tennis jacket on and thought I was hot shit. And you were. You play, you know, you were assumed a varsity athlete at the University of Florida, and I'm hanging out with Emmett Smith, uh, you know, and Dwayne Shinsis, who took me under their wing. Uh, you know, who's, who's this short, fat little Jewish kid from New Jersey? We like him. Um, that... The reality of it is a a kid got drafted who I was helping with his homework. Uh, Again, I was a 3-0 student, but at Florida, I was almost a 4-0 student because it wasn't that hard uh, for me. And 
a kid, Lawrence Hatch, came up to me and he said, hey, man, you've been tutoring me. Uh, I'm going to apply for the NFL draft. I've been interviewing agents. Uh, I don't I don't like any of them. I said, well, why don't you have me interview some of your agents? So I did. I didn't like any of them either. And it wasn't a first round. He wasn't Emmett. He wasn't, you know, guy's going to be drafted fourth, fifth, sixth round. I said, I don't like any of them. He goes, look, you helped me in economics. You helped me in history. He goes, why don't you be my agent? And I was 19 years old at University of Florida. I was like, uh, okay. Uh, I apply. I had $150 saved up. I applied to be a registered agent, and I fucking winged it. And uh, I, it's actually an amazing story that uh, I couldn't afford to fly to Foxborough. He got drafted in the fifth round by the Patriots. It was Patrick Forte's first year as GM, Bill Barcell's coach. It was Bledsoe's year, I think. And I uh, couldn't afford I didn't have a blazer. I didn't have ever. Uh, I, so I flew home first. My parents... Help me pay for a ticket to fly home. I got my bar mitzvah jacket, which still fit. I wore a fake pair of horn rim glasses because at 19, I looked 15. So I used fake glasses and I slicked back my hair to try to look older. So then I fly, I don't know, to Boston, wherever I had to fly. It was snowing and then I wasn't old enough to rent a car. I took a cab and I get to Foxborough. I'm all excited to negotiate this deal. Security guard doesn't let me in. What do you mean, kid? You're not here for autographs. It's the off season. What What are you doing? I said I'm here I'm meeting with uh, Patrick Ford. Sure you are, kid. I said no. Bill Parcells and Patrick Ford. They're waiting for me, kid. I told you no autograph. There was no cell phones then. This is like 91, 92. There's there's no cell phones. Uh, I was like, I don't know what to do. I went to a payphone. I called my dad. He's like, keep telling him. I'm like, guys. I said, will you do me a favor? Will you call up? The guy finally, after an hour of me legitimately in the snowstorm, called up. They're like, yes, Ryan Shinman. I walk in. They were so embarrassed that it actually helped me because in the fifth round back then, you'd get slotted. Ah, the guy ahead of you is going to make more money. The guy behind you is going to make less money. Again, this is not rocket science negotiation. It's a slotting when it comes to the fifth round. You're going to get what you're basically going to get sure. within a couple grand. They felt so bad that they gave me more money than the guy 10 slots ahead of me who had already done the deal. And they're like, we feel bad about what happened. We, we hope you're going to be a great agent. We're going to see you again. And he made me look great. So I came in like a conquering hero that I could say to Lawrence, I got you more money than the guy who got drafted 10 spots ahead of you. The next year, I got a couple more guys off the team. And I don't want to go too far, but uh, I didn't know anybody still, right? My mom's a family therapist. My dad's an engineer. Okay, I know I'm going to get these NFL guys. The next year, two more guys will want to sign with me. Uh, Willie Jackson and, and, and William Gaines were like third, fourth rounders, stars of Florida. I didn't know what to do. I was going to graduate soon. Uh, so I threw a guy, threw a guy, threw a guy, threw another guy. I met a guy, um, uh, Art Kaminsky. And Art, I got a meeting, again, after like five other meetings to get to him. And he had a similar story. His college roommate was Kenny Dryden at Cornell. And uh, Arthur was in law school. And, and Ken Dryden, a uh, famous hockey player, became his first client. So he loved the story. He said, can you start? I said, I graduate Friday. He goes, great. You want to start Monday? So I didn't walk at graduation. I started Monday. I eventually got the other two guys. So I walked in eventually having basically three NFL guys. He goes, they had 200 hockey players and 300 broadcasters. Chris Berman, Al Michaels, Dan Deardorff, Walton Fertillo, Hannah Storm, Willow Bay, everybody. And they had Leach, Ode, Zuboff. They had all these hockey players. The 1980 Olympic uh, uh, team, plus Al Michaels, plus Herb Brooks. 
And he said, you did marketing? I go, yeah. He goes, okay, you can be assistant marketing director. It was like 19 people in the whole company. And you can be my head of football. <laughs> I was just turning 21. It's 1993. I don't think I even asked how much money I was making. I knew it wasn't enough to move into the city. So he gave me, I think it was 36500 pre-tax plus, plus 20% of anything I brought in. I was like, sold, done. Graduated Friday, drove up, uh, started Monday. And... Lived in my parents' basement. Uh, I took the PATH train from my dad would drive me to the Harrison PATH train. Uh, $1 from Harrison to Penn Station. Get out. It was right on 33rd and 7th on the 7th floor. And uh, uh, right across the street from the garden. And uh, a buddy, Mike Levine and I, Mike started three months after me, uh, shared an office. Uh, you know, you could barely fit the two of us in. It's like a closet. And uh, he's now president of CAA Sports and started that, you know, that for CAA. But we talk about those three years together where we just grinded and had so much fun. But again, we couldn't afford, uh, you know, lunch. We'd go across the street to A&S Plaza and we gave ourselves like $10 a day for the food court. Couldn't afford to take girls on a date. Went right back. My dad would pick me up from the Harrison train and that was my life for a couple of years. When, when did you, it's funny because there's so many, I feel like there's so many stories like that in the sense of like, when did you think that it could be something more that you weren't just a $36,000 a year, you know, employee making, you know, like when did you think that this could become well, real? Well, what happened was, is we were a small company and I became a big fish in a small pond, right? You have a 19 person company, sure. you know, I had like an intern. I was like, wow, I got an intern. Yeah. Uh, I, I wasn't that concerned about the money versus, you know, they tell you a lot about the entertainment business, sports, music, Hollywood. It's kind of once the hardest part is getting in. Once you get in, yeah, you, you got to maneuver and hustle, and you know, uh, you know, I I almost became like the smoke and mirror king of of New York. I would just bullshit my way, and you know, I I, I have, uh, you know, I, I I'm five seven, and you know, no one told me I'm not six four, two twenty. <laughs> I always felt like. You know, I, whether it was playing tennis or whether it was in business, I, I always felt like I, I was the man. And I acted like that. And sometimes you got to fake it till you make it a little bit, right? So, you know, I, I give you one quick story. So Arthur, the head of it, we, we represented a bunch of the Rangers. And Steve Hers, who was the head of marketing, came to me and said, we need four more tickets to the game. It was like game six. And I'm like, no problem. And he's like, uh, call this number and just tell them, you know, that we need the tickets. So, of course, I was an idiot. I didn't even ask who I was calling. And I call up the number and I'm like, hey, you know, this is Ryan from Athletes and Artists. I need four tickets. So like, well, you know, the game's in four hours. I'm sorry. I'm like, you don't understand. We represent Brian. Ryan Leach and Zuby, who are playing tonight, I said, we need these tickets. And they're like, well, we're sorry, sir. And I said, do you understand who, who you're talking to? I said, I'll fucking have Brian Leach not play tonight if I don't get these tickets. They're like, excuse me? I'm like, yeah, I'll call Brian right now. We represent him. No problem. He won't play. I said, I need these fucking tickets. <laughs> so I get a call. Arthur, about 20 minutes pass. And I'm like thinking, okay, I'm going to get a call. So Arthur comes in, the CEO of the company. Uh, Ryan, come and see me right away. I'm like, oh, maybe he'll congratulate me that I got the tickets. He goes, I just got a call from Gary Bettman's office, the commissioner of the NHL, saying that you're threatening his secretary that Brian Leach, our client, won't be playing in the game unless he gives you the tickets. He goes, who the fuck do you think you are? I go, 
I didn't know who I was calling. The head of marketing told me to call and just do whatever it took to get the tickets. I was like, he's like, let me give you one rule. He goes, it's okay, and I appreciate what you do. He goes, but you're a fucking idiot. Rule number one, know who you're calling before you call. I said, great. So... I have a hundred stories like that where I just didn't give a shit. I just, I was assigned a task. I wanted to do it. I think what transition though was again, how am I going to make money? Right. Even with commission, I made like 50 grand that first year, 55 grand, which again, great living for a kid living at home. My other friends were living in the city, taking banking jobs, this and that. And like, Finally, after two years, my friends and I lived on 84th in York. We lived in a two-bedroom, one-bathroom, the four of us. And then there was like a loft to put luggage. And I was like, you want to know what? It didn't have a door on it. You'd go up the stairs. You'd, you'd have your luggage. I was like, I'm putting a mattress up there. I'm going to live up there. And I lived up there on the mattress, and we shared a thing. And it was some of the best, you know, people tell you later in life, it's the journey and some of the best times sure, are, sure. right? Like, it's almost like pleasure and fraternity. It's like, oh, that's shit when you're going through it. But you look back, and you're like, those are my guys. But I think what happened was that after year number three, we were doing well. I was probably making like 50, 60 grand and having a lot of responsibility. There was a rumor that Bob Gakowski was president of the garden, was going to come in and take over the company and start a new group. And I said, if that happens, I'm a big fish in a small pond now. I kind of do what I want. I got like eight or nine NFL guys. I'm assistant marketing director, you know, which really didn't mean shit, but like working on marketing deals. And I was like, I'm going to have to get out of here because there's no way they're going to let me do what I'm going to do at a bigger company. And serendipitously, I got a call. And a guy, Mark Roberts, who was from West Orange, New Jersey, had read some things about me being one of the youngest agents in the NFL. And he said, I'm starting a sports company. I'm from West Orange. You're from West Orange. I have the money. I represent boxers. Uh, you have football players. I'm going to put together a company. We're going to be the first publicly traded sports marketing company. I was like... What are you going to pay me? He goes, well, you can work in our Jersey office or in the city. I give you a hundred grand a year. My driver, when I'm not using it, you can drive. You got a fifty grand uh, expense report for the year. I'm going to be taking you out, introducing you to people, and it's up to you to make it. I'm like done. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how that just happened, but Yahtzee. And I played a little hardball, and I got a little more than that. And uh, believe it or not, you know w- what I learned during that time. And he bought a sports agency, and he bought some other people, and he brought in Joel Siegel, had a hundred NFL players, Tony Freeman, OJ McDuffie, Tyrone Wheatley. Brought in this guy Eric Rudolph, who had Derek Anderson and Bobby Jackson, and great, great basketball players that sure. he was recruiting. And I was the CMO. I was like, this is amazing. And what Mark did for me, which I, I give him credit for, he treated me like a little brother but treated me with respect. And I was out with him five nights a week hustling. I don't drink really. I never did a drug in my life. I wanted to hook up with hot girls and make money. And that was my singular focus at the time in my, in my mid to late twenties. That's all I cared about. So when, yeah, I had the bottle on the table. I didn't drink. I would drink bottles of Avion. Uh, cause I wanted to be sharp because I wanted to go to bed at two in the morning, but be at the gym at 6 30 uh, and i didn't need sleep i still don't need a lot of sleep but like he treated me he introduced hey we're having dinner with don king we're having dinner with donald trump you're gonna meet this guy from the nfl and legitimately what was funny he was always like two or three important business people and he never had pe- less than eight to ten people at dinner though elios ninos barunda then we're going to life then we're going to Mumba. then we're going to here I was like, this is the life. And, uh, you know, all the girls at the table, I'm like, this is this is amazing. 
But what I did realize was is that I liked doing the marketing more than I liked representing talent. That I saw, you know, NFL stands for not for long, or like they talk about, you know, th- you know, a couple years in the league and then you're out. You know, not everybody is uh, Emmett Smith. Not sure, everybody sure. is Tom Brady. Not everybody is Michael Jordan. And, Tony Gonzalez. Yeah, or anybody. Guys are in and out of these, you know, you get hurt, this and that. Sure. I said, but PepsiCo is not going anywhere. Microsoft's not going anywhere. And as I was doing deals with the ad agencies for these players, I realized that I really enjoyed that aspect because that's what mostly I was doing, but representing the talent. We went public. I made my first kind of, let's call it real money. You know, not seven figures, but I made real money. And I saw that he was starting to spend a little money. And I don't know if he was thinking about growing, but he wasn't doing a lot of acquisitions. And I could tell, I don't know how long this thing was going to last. I still had mad respect for him for everything he did for me. And what really happened was I had an idea. And if you say why... I'm, I'm moderately successful or did well in business. It was this one idea. That was my kind of, everyone talks about that aha moment or that tipping point sure. moment. My idea was that if corporations and ad agencies would buy talent, celebrities, athletes, music, music licensing models, the way they bought media through one vertical, you'd get cost savings, cost avoidance, and value add. So what does that really mean? Why does PepsiCo use OMD to buy their media instead of hiring two smart McKinsey guys or paying guys a half a million dollars a year who know the media landscape to buy media? Well, they go with OMD, not only because they're a great company, but because they're buying on behalf of 40, 50 companies. So when they call NBC, Condé Nast, Van Wagner Outdoor, you're getting cost savings, cost avoidance, and value add because whatever. So I said, I want to consolidate an industry. It's never been done. I want to now go to ad agencies and then companies and say, if you buy all through me instead of having your ad agency do it or your PR agency do it or your brand manager do it, who doesn't know anything... Imagine we collectively bought, and you had an entity to collectively buy. I mean, that's what happened. My friend Stuart Rar, you know, I'll tell you, he became a billionaire at King Ray because his father was a pharmacist who had a couple of pharmacies that were going out of business because he couldn't compete with CVS, Walgreens, Walmart. And he said, I'm going to go buy on behalf of the 3,000, 4,000 small mom and pop shops out there, and I'm going to be able to compete on pricing with Walmart and with CVS and Walgreens. So it was the same thing. It's, it's basically collective buying. Sure. That's all it was. And again, you go back to West Orange, New Jersey. What are the chances that the president of BBDO Advertising is from West Orange, New Jersey? And in the 90s, BBDO had Visa, Pepsi, GE, KFC, all the big pop culture brands, Frito-Lay, that used talent in music. I got a meeting through my ex-boss, Mark. He said, I want you to go meet Bill Katz. Oh, and by the way, once I saw this, and we went public. I left half my stock on the table, and I, 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 with my roommate, I started working out of my home. I said, I'm going to start my own shit. So I forgot that part, which is once I came up with this idea, I said, I'm gone. And I told Mark, you know, my contract's up. I'm going to start something on my own. And he said, King, King. I said, nah, I want to do it on my own. So I worked out of my apartment, hired two interns with this idea. Right? Just an idea. Nothing but an idea, but I had a couple hundred grand stopgap in the, in the bank. Sure. So I meet with Bill Katz. He's like, ah, I'm going to give you a chance on Pepsi. He introduced me to John Osborne, who was then became president of BBDO and now the head of OMD. Uh, they gave me a shot on an impossible project with brown sugar, 
with the Stones for some ad that they got a no for, and I somehow bullshitted my way, and I got it done. And then he tried me on another Pepsi project, then another project, so I grew my BBDO advertising business, and that became my first client. Then they said, we want to introduce you to Ketchum, the PR agency, and why don't you do some talent for that? And I was like, great. So after about a year, I started telling everybody I'm the biggest buyer of talent and music in the world. Well, I was really the only guy doing it. I didn't have any competition. I was like, so kind of a lie, kind of a truth. But the more I said it, the more I believed it. And I would, every meeting I took, well, you can use me. I'm the biggest buyer of talent and music in the world. You want, you need an athlete? You need a celebrity? And then I got into music licensing. You know, I got into music licensing. BBDO called with an Eminem Mars project. I just put Stephen Baldwin in in an ad for them. And they said, we're doing another ad. We need Jimmy, Jimmy uh, uh, Hendrix, Foxy Lady music. We're having trouble. Do you do music licensing? I looked around the room. I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> and uh, never done a music licensing deal in my life. I actually didn't own a computer. I, I still don't travel with a computer. I'm a phone guy, and I'm on no social media and whatever. But, you know, I bullshitted my way through it. I got them foxy ladies. So all of a sudden, now to add my repertoire, I'm the biggest buyer of music licensing in the world for advertising. I would tell everybody that. And then my big break came in 98. The Coors Brewing Company out of Golden, Colorado heard of me. They had 26 brands, Coors, Coors Light, Killian's, uh, Zima, and they were buying models and music and celebrity. And I got interviewed by the head of purchasing and procurement on the phone. Uh, I don't even think she knew my last name, Shinman, but she does an interview and basically says, we have everybody's all over the place. We're buying talent, brand managers doing these people. We heard about you. How would you like to consolidate our business? Can you can you come into Golden, Colorado and present? And I did first a couple pre-phone interviews, and then I flew out to Golden, Colorado, and I, I get in a room, the Adolf Coors building, which is a little intimidating when you're a Jewish kid from New Jersey. Uh, mm. And, uh, you know, and and the family had a little bit of, uh, of history, the Coors family behind it. And I went in there. I had 26 brand managers in the room all grilling me about why we should go with you. Why can't we just do it the way we're doing? And I answered every question. And then the Hispanic group stood up and in Spanish asked me why they should go with me for if they're consulting. What do I know about the Hispanic market? And luckily I speak, uh, I don't want to call it fluent Spanish, but conversational enough Spanish that I was able to answer them in Spanish. And they were like, sold. And I walked out with the business. So I was the first client to consolidate everything with me. And that's how I knew I had a real business. It wasn't an ad agency. It wasn't a PR agency. It was I just got 26 brands and the Coors Brewing Company to use me. And then it steamrolled. Then I got Pepsi. Then I got Microsoft. Then I got Kraft. And and I, you know, and, and that's it, how it started. And it's just there's so many more. You know, uh, th there's so many stories that, you know, and people that you connected and put to brands, you know. Um and and how you know how relationships have, have have you know basically have kept you going and going and going. You know relationships are the most important thing you would say, right? I mean, for me, re relationships are everything. I mean, yeah. it's relationships with my corporate clients who, thank goodness, most of the time uh, have stuck with me. If they get fired and move on, uh, they kind of take me with them. Uh, sometimes you get you know the raw end of the deal where they're out and a new guy comes in and they have their own people. 
because uh, other people have popped up over the years to compete against me, which which is fine. Uh, there's enough business for everybody sure, because sure. if I have Pepsi, I can't do Dr. Pepper. If I have P&G, I can't do Unilever. So there's people who have actually created businesses off the businesses I can't have. Sure. Saying, Ryan Shinman can't do your business, so we're yeah, going to do as well it. Give it and me. by the way, I applaud it. And actually, people would be like, well, don't you hate those people? Or didn't you hate them? They were your competition. I said, frankly, they legitimized my business. Because now that there's competition, all these Fortune 100 companies realize they need someone like me. And if it's not me and it's a competitor, it doesn't matter. As long as they're using somebody, and I can't possibly represent everybody. So it legitimized the business in general, which which I love. But if you go back to relationships, whether it's relationships with agents and managers, relationships with talent, relationships with my clients, I think a little little like about somebody, I'm not a yes guy. I kind of, you know, if I'm at fault, if anything, you know, some of my clients don't always appreciate that I give it to them straight. You know, you want Justin Timber, like you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, and you have a half a million dollars, and everybody's telling you it can be done. I'm telling you it can't be done. And I don't want to beat around the bush, and I'm not going to call Justin, and I'm not going to call Rick Yorn, and I'm not going to call Johnny Wright, because you have a half a million dollars, and it'll never fucking happen. So... You either like that answer or you don't. You want to call somebody else? Go ahead. But they're not they're going to get the same answer. So, you know, and the same thing with talent. You know, I meet with talent all the time. I don't represent talent. Oh, do you think you're going to get me an ad? I said, maybe. Maybe I'll call you in a week. Maybe I'll call you in a month. Maybe I'll how, call you in a year. How did you How did you even gauge the, the pricing? Is it what the client wanted or you knew the market? Like, how do you even- Well, like, well it's also, so when you ask, when, you know, if you, you want to backtrack on what I did before I started the company, I took six months off when I left uh, Worldwide Entertainment and started Platinum Rye. And- all I did was research. Again, it goes back to relationships. I had friends at all the major talent agencies. So I would say, how much does this person make for this print ad? How much does the person make for the TV ad? Call a different agency or a different manager. How much did this guy get for that appearance? And for six months, I compiled data. Because nobody had data, and sure. it was kind of secretive. So how much does this person normally get? Because it's arbitrary, right? You know, the way people did it before me was, okay, how much? You want 500 grand? It's 500 grand. Oh, can you do it for 400 grand? Oh, let's meet in the middle, 450. Well, you don't know if that person only got 150 grand the last time. Why are you paying them even 450? There was no checks and balances. It wasn't like art where you could go look on and find out how much that Picasso went at auction. Secret of world. Sure, so I sure. also had that industry knowledge of how much to pay. And I also would tell creatives and people like, look, if we're not going to get person X, person Y and Z are just as good for that same price. Now, so, what would you even know to take? Like, you know, is that like a obviously like the norm these days is like a twenty percent commission? Was that how it was? No, I I always was very uh, again. A lot of my competition didn't do this. I got paid ten percent, and I got ten percent above what the talent made. So people would say, well, what's your incentive, right? To if I, you're getting paid parry pursuit to what we're paying the talent, why are we going to? Where's your incentive to get a lower price? And my incentive is if you don't like my price and you don't like my job, don't use me again. Mm. That's what I would tell people. If you don't think I saved you money, then when I called and showed you that they quoted five hundred, if I got it done for three fifty and you paid me thirty five grand, I still saved you over six figures. And by the way, if you don't think I did or you don't think I did a good job, don't pay me. Mm. I would say, no problem. You don't. You don't think I saved you money or added value? Right? You got a you got a cost savings, cost avoidance, and value add. I was like, look, 
and maybe they wanted 500 but I only got but I got you 500 only but I got you an extra day of service or I got that PR day or I got them you know extra social media there wasn't social media when I started but yes we'll we'll we'll, we'll go over even more but you know and we'll get into this but uh you 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 have had had a hand in Oprah to uh, weight watches right Cala to weight watches right am I, am I, am I saying this right uh, sure, but those are recent. No, I mean, no, okay, no, but we, okay. So let's go over this. What has been some of your most memorable uh, deals that you closed over the years? I think some of them have more to do with the experiences. Like I remember we did a deal with Kid Rock for Coors, which was a multi-year deal that was like a lot of fun because you know hanging out with him in Detroit and like seeing his crew and not have met anyone like him and to realize what a talented musician it is and how smart he was. Experience that, and also the fact that you know. Uh, it, it, it was fun to be around or you know you think about you know monumental deals i did a deal with at&t and hbo at the time when at&t uh, wireless i don't know if it was still called singular then 3g had just come out and i and they were wanted to go do content deals and i was like instead of just going show by show let's call my buddy chris albrick at hbo who i'd become friendly with and uh let's do a deal for all of hbo we did a $100 million content deal that basically I got The Sopranos, I got Sex in the City, I got you know, all their boxing, all their live sports, and we did that deal. And again, you know, Chris Albrecht asked and AT&T asked when they announced the partnership, do I want my name involved? And I said, no. And they couldn't understand it. And it was an important lesson then and an important lesson I've taken forward always. You know, I never wanted the credit. I liked the deal and I liked the money behind the deal. Mm. I liked the action. Mm. I didn't need to be in the Wall Street Journal associated with it. Maybe stupidly I should have been, and maybe it have been more successful that people know about these deals sure, sure. and know some of the things I did. Look, uh, when at t if you go back to that client, when it was singular, there was no such thing as a ringtone. All of a sudden, we had to do ringtone deals. I would call the label, try to do a ringtone deal, and they were like, we don't have deals with our artists based on ringtone deals. So I had to advise the, the record labels how to add that to their contract. They're like, we don't have ringtone rights. But like stuff and like there that. there was tons of money in ringtones. Oh, Look, one of one of the biggest things that didn't happen is I was smart enough to realize it was going to be big, so I asked Singular Wireless to give me a penny for every ringtone that got downloaded, and they actually said yes, and then went to finance, and finance said we have no way to track it, so I just took a flat fee, but that would have been worth hundreds of millions yeah, of sure, dollars. Sure. Uh, but stuff like that, I think, you know, uh, being involved with some of the most iconic Pepsi ads, whether it was Britney or Beyonce, again, uh, was great. Working with guys like Dr. Dre to write beats for me uh, back in the day. Ironically, his thing is called Beats, which I, I, I helped when was in the beginning part of that. But, like, I, I think the Oprah Weight Watchers, you know, is, is probably... My, How does that happen? My biggest deal... How does that even happen? Well, well again, let's go yeah. back to relationships, how that happens. And I don't want to take full credit because I was the negotiator sure. behind the deal. And, and there was a lot of steps to that. But that happened very simply. Maurice Herrera, who was CMO at the time, or head of marketing, I don't know his exact title, before that was at uh, Profetti and had used me. Before that was at Mondelez and had used me. Before that he was at PepsiCo and he used me for talent. So here was a guy I had over a decade experience with, went into a situation where the stock was like at four or five and came up with a, an idea kind of, hey, would someone like Oprah ever do this? And I said, well, I'll let me check. And 
called Gail King and said, uh, Oprah's turned me down for everything over the years. What do you think? And she said, hey, this is something, hey, I'm on the program, Ryan. And uh, it's something maybe she would consider. And he went back to Invis Capital, uh, Raymond and Jonas, who ran that fund, and said, we think maybe we could do a deal. And I don't want to go into it that much, but we negotiated the deal. I was on the opposite side of Ari Emanuel, who's not always the easiest guy to negotiate against, who's you know, CEO and chairman of, uh, it's now called Endeavor, William Morris sure, Endeavor. Sure. IMG, probably the biggest company in the world when it comes to talent. And uh, he was actually great. And it it was, I don't want to call it an easy deal. It wasn't an easy deal, but it was a deal when both sides want to do a deal, it's always easy. And the fact that she wanted to be on the board and everything I'm talking about is public knowledge. And the fact that she bought into the company, not was just given because she really believed in it, uh, was exciting to be around. And it was exciting to see the success. because not every campaign is successful, and I'm usually not the arbiter of uh, who to put in the ad. You know, we're 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 guided, right? Hey, Ryan, I want a country music superstar. Hey, Ryan, I want a comedian. Hey, Ryan, I want a song that sounds like Beautiful Day on U2 because I can't afford Beautiful Day. We're not telling the brands what they should be doing. They kind of lead us down the path, and then we make the recommendations. Uh, And sometimes they listen, and sometimes they don't. But, you know, I look back, and I've done over 100 Super Bowl ads, but you want to know what? I say that kind of flipping because I didn't create the ads. I didn't produce the ads. I didn't come up with the concept with the ads. I was just the guy that negotiated for the talent or recommended the talent for the ads or the music and did them. So whether it was P&G ads, whether it was Wix ads, whether it was Pepsi ads, uh, you know, we've we've done some great work, whether it was Amazon. Um, but again, you know, the creative agency should get a lot of credit for coming up with wonderful ads and the media buying for buying ads and letting me be involved. Well, so it's a it's a whole puzzle. It's a whole puzzle. But, you know, again, it's the relationships of you knowing that this person could pay this client, could pay this client. You know, what? we're going to take a quick break, but I'm going to run run through this real quick. And then when we come back. Uh, I mean, you have been credited for so many partnerships, so many deals. Uh, they say uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey and Scarlett uh, Johansson with Dolce & Gabbana. Uh, Orlando Bloom and Gwyneth Pathrow, uh with Hugo Boss. Diddy and Usher with Mercedes. But but you but you even look back, right? Like, let's take an Usher an example. Yeah. yeah, I put Usher with Mercedes, but I put him in his first ad ever with Twix when he was a teenager. And then and then we we've done things like Mercedes, but I just had him perform down in Miami three months ago for me. And uh, you know it, it doesn't matter. Go back to Diddy, great. I did the Mercedes deal, but I also put him in the Pepsi Super Bowl spot, mm-hmm. and I also booked him all over the world, and I also sponsored his white party, and I also used his music in an ad, and then I used Biggie for a Motorola ad when we were launching the Razor phone. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it, it's all. You know, again, it's thousands and thousands and thousands of deals, you know, over billions of dollars worth of of money spent. But, you know, if you want to get into what the way it was and the way it is now, you know, the dynamics have changed. First of all, everybody thinks they're a celebrity. You don't need to win 10 Grammys or be on a show for a decade to be a celebrity anymore, right? Somebody you and I have never heard of, Pete, from last week can come up with some cat video or some song and all of a sudden it gets 100 million YouTube hits and all of a sudden they want 100 grand to perform, <laughs> right? And like like you and I never heard of that. could never happen. Not, that could like, never happen a couple decades ago, right? In the 90s, you, 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 guys, you know how you could discover talent? 
out. They, they went into a car and they went and saw people, whether it was downtown or in Iowa. I heard about this great guy. So, you know, it's it, we live in a world of instant celebrity. Sure, sure. sure. Instant. Famous for being sure. famous. And people are getting money for that. Not only getting money, getting real, real money. Okay. I just did a uh, conference. CEO conference this year for for Bain, a big private equity shop, and I put on for their CEOs uh, of the companies that they've invested in pictures of like George Clooney and a woman named Huda, and I said, who has more pull right now with consumers? And everybody in those staff, of course, George Clooney. We all know George Clooney. Who's this woman? I'm like, you realize Huda can sell makeup and is one of the biggest people when it comes to makeup and how to put on makeup is one of the biggest influencers in the world and commands millions of dollars to be in business with her. And they were flabbergasted. They thought, hey, pay the woman 10 grand? Is that it? In the commercial world, she's more valuable than George Clooney. George Clooney doesn't go on his social handles and promote products or... You know, he's a great guy to have in an ad, and I've used him over the years in a number of ads, whether it was, you know, whether it was for Mercedes in London or my voice for Aquafina, it didn't matter. But in today's world of celebrity, now, Huda might not matter for Mercedes or Aquafina, but she matters in her space a hell of a lot more than an Angelina Jolie or a Sharon Stone or a Gwyneth Paltrow. So I think, you know, People that my parents or your friends have never even heard of are making millions of dollars because of their influence in pop culture. And there's also a big difference, and our buddy Zabo will tell you all the time, between people who have just a big following versus people who can translate their following into money. Mm. There's a very big difference. You know, uh, a very big difference on on how to monetize your social following. Some people can do it. Some people can't. Mm. And, you know, like I look at it right now, and if you let's put Kardashians in a box for a minute because that doesn't excite me anymore. But if you look at Cardi, someone like a Cardi B that no one heard of years ago that was a stripper that does this foul mouth, get in trouble. That girl can move product, man. That girl does a capsule collection. It's done within minutes. You better You better jump because it's done. And she knows it. You know, other than the fact that I don't even know if she ever went to jail for someone, if she still couldn't move product, maybe if she didn't have her social handles to move product. But like the ability to do that is is, is unbelievable to me. Unbelievable. Well, and, it opens the eyes to the market, too, to think that you don't only have to go to A, B and C. That there's X, Y and Z out. There. Well, I think that's what's also fair. And I think if you go back to, you know, relationships and negotiating power on behalf of brands now, which, again, I don't represent talent. I don't care about talent. I care about the brands that they're so stuck on. You know, it's like Casablanca, line up the usual suspects, call in the usual suspects. Everybody wants the same people. I'm like, guys. Forget about these 25 same mothers that we ask for, women or comedians or like these other people over here will cost you probably half as much and will have more influence on who buys your product than these other people that you expect. And we have so many choices now and there's not enough jobs to fill it out there. Look, if you think about over the years, even in mainstream commercial, when I started, if you would have told me that Harrison Ford or Robert De Niro was going to be in a U.S. advertising commercial, I would have said, you're nuts. They'll never do it. Right? They might do something in Japan like Stallone used to do and Bruce Willis, but they're going to be in a U.S. ad. There's no, Bob Dylan's going to give his music to an ad. 
Nobody's calling any of these guys a sellout anymore. It's the way it is. It's not. No one's not going to a Bob Dylan concert because he, he was in a car commercial. No one's not going to see George Clooney in, in Ocean's 27 because he decided to, to, to do something. Mm. It, it just doesn't, there's not that stigma attached anymore. But there's so many people and great people who aren't a pain in the ass and who aren't going to command a private jet and who are going to show up on time and who will move the needle that we need to explore. I mean, we'll get to that when we come back to the break. I'm sure there's so many fucking headaches that you had to deal with as well and, and all the little pieces that's come together with a deal. Before we go to break, uh, I, I, I've been wanting to ask you about this Alec Baldwin story. Or Stephen Baldwin. Yeah, Stephen there's an Baldwin. Alec Stephen. one and a Stephen one. Alec we used in Amazon. But I'll tell you something, and it's very funny because people, Stephen's name has actually come up a lot lately in the press, obviously, because of his daughter marrying mm-hmm. uh, probably one of the most famous human beings on the planet, Justin Bieber. And, yeah. uh, you know, we, we've done a couple things with Haley, and, and actually we have an offer out there right now for something. But I think, that, you know, this story, and, and my friends know this story. Um, I had put Stephen, and I told you before, in this M&M's ad, and, and we became friends. And I don't really, I don't have a lot of celebrity friends. I kind of separate business from, I've had celebrities at my house and I have dinner with celebrities, but I don't, my real friends are my fucking real friends sure, from New Jersey sure. and New York or my crew. But Stephen Baldwin and I became very close. And it was a time in his life, it was before he became a born again. And, you know, he was having a rough time with marriage and he had a kid. And, you know, Haley we didn't really, it was a toddler at the time. He used to sleep on my couch after staying out with me till two in the morning. And again, he was a little crazier than I am. Like, you know, but I, it was, he was a great guy. I, mean, I don't want to call him B list, C list, but he, he wasn't Alec. He wasn't even Billy at the time, who had just come off a of backdraft and some other stuff. Uh, but everyone knew Stephen in town. And he was, he was amazing and fun and, and great energy to be around. And I fucking loved it. And, you know, again, it goes back to me thinking I'm 6'4, not, not 5'8. And, I started to develop a little attitude. You know, it was, be- it was right after I sold my company, uh, Tom Omnicom, in 2004. I had some money. I was dating models. I, you know, every 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 dream scenario I could possibly have. Uh, still going home every weekend. I only went out during the week. Every weekend, stayed at my parents' house, whether I had a girlfriend or not, and hung with my family. But you want to talk about not keeping it real. I was the guy who at the Velvet Rope, who was still going out five nights a week, spending money, bringing celebrities and model out, but being like, do you know who the fuck I am? Kind of attitude. And you know, now in, in my 40s, you realize that every schmuck who says, do you know who I am? Or do you know who my father yeah, yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, or do you know I could buy you? Yeah. You're like, immediately douchebag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, immediately. <laughs> Automatic douchebag, now more than ever. But it held true 20 years ago also, by the way. <laughs> that, that, never, that never dies, the douchebag comment. So Stephen had been staying with me and became partners in this bar. I think it was Luan or whatever it was. And... There's a velvet rope outside. You know, back in the day, that was the big thing, the big velvet rope. And uh, he's like, come down at like 8 o'clock. I'm like, okay. I come down, and there's, of course, a line. It's a hot new bar, exclusive party. And, you know, doorman's there. I say my name. He's like, you're not on the list. I'm like, dude, I'm on the fucking list. He's like, no, I'm sorry, you're not on the list. I'm like... 
Steven stayed at my house last night. Trust me, I'm on the fucking list. Sorry, you're not on the list. I gave it the old, do you know who the fuck I am? I'm like, do you know I, if I want to fucking come in here, I'll, I'll make this place like nobody cares about. I'll make sure every model and celebrity. And I just had total douchebag attitude. And I can't blame it again on drugs or alcohol because I wasn't drunk. And I wasn't on drugs. I was just being, my head was getting too big, right? Sure. Making money, hanging out with celebrities, you know, nobody telling, everybody kissing my ass. And little did I know that they had monitors then. It, it was, you know, uh, so, you know, there's a control room and they were monitoring who was outside. And they're hearing me. I'm like, I'll get you fired. You know, typical. I'll get you fired. Yeah, you sure. won't be working here. So Stephen comes out, taps the guy on the shoulder. I walk in. Stephen says, you and I, when we when we go out tomorrow night, because we had plans to go to dinner, are going to have a little talk. He goes, enjoy tonight, but we're going to have a little talk. I was like, what about it? He's like, don't worry about it. Two nights later, we go to dinner. He goes, dude, I love you, and, I, and I'm not your father. I'm not your brother. I'm one of your closest friends. I'm going to tell you something. You're turning into a dick. Uh, what do you mean? My friends love me. This and that. He goes, forget about your love. But people can love people who are high on life and they want to be around you because you're a fun guy and your friends are your friends. But I was watching the entire altercation that took place outside from our monitor inside. Who the fuck do you think you are? He told me. He goes, not that you're not somebody in your world. Nobody gives a fuck about you. You're not a celebrity. You're not a billionaire. You're nothing, dude. You're 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 a good guy who does some business and hangs around with some people. He goes, but who the fuck are you to talk to anybody that way? He goes, you're going to lose a lot of friends and you're not going to be successful if you treat people that way. And it actually was embarrassing because A, I knew it was true. And it wasn't all the time. This wasn't an everyday occurrence. Sure, sure. You know, it's like anything. It flared up. I was generally very respectful. Look, my dad had, you know, a couple of things he always taught me. Walk with quiet feet, which I wasn't following then. And more importantly, treat the janitor like you treat the CEO. Mm. And you'll go f- along in life. Because A, you never know where the janitor's going to end up. And B, you treat everyone with respect. The so- waiter, this and that. And he, it was a real eye-opener. And from that day on... I never pulled that card again. If someone, when I went up to the velvet rope at Life that next Thursday, and they didn't want to let me in, I'd say, here's my card. Can you please tell Roy Stillman or tell Steve Lewis that Ryan Shinman's here? And if they're like, we can't talk to him now, I'll be like, okay, please give him my card. Tell him I was here, and I would go to another bar. Legitimately, that has stuck with me 20 years later. So, St- Stephen, if you think about it, Stephen Baldwin uh, opened up your eyes or may have uh, helped you uh, change some of your path, you know, like to, to, uh, to humble you a little bit. Well, definitely. Look, because my dad's not you. there telling me, you know, yeah. he didn't see it. My friends are, are sniffing the glue, being yeah. my hangers, honors, and doing enjoying it with me. The girls don't care. They're like, wow, look at my guy telling yeah. this guy who to fuck off. Yeah. And... You know, it, 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 the fact, again, that 20 years later, essentially, it sticks with you. Sure, and it still, it it's still, is, yeah. and still resonates. And I remember that almost more than any deal I ever did or anything I ever did. Yeah. 
That's that's dope. Shout this is Stephen Baldwin. Exactly. I mean, who's better than that? And again, he's become also from what he was. You want to talk about a guy who's loved and and found religion again, and and just a, what a terrific human being. I haven't seen him in a long time, but I, I I wish him and his family all the best. And it's so nice to see, you know, his kid having all the success that sure. she deserves. Sure, absolutely. You know what? Let's take a quick break. Sitting here with the one and only Ryan Shinman. Uh, we're about to make a deal uh, off air about who knows, who knows what. He, he doesn't stop making deals. Pete's worth at least 30,000 shekels. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. Cheers. What's up, everybody? It's Gary Vay, Nerdchuck, a.k.a. Gary V, and you're locked into the Premium Pete Show. Internet, and we're back sitting here with Ryan Shimon, going over so many fucking deals. The journey has been amazing. Think about it, a kid from... Uh, East Orange, West Orange. West Orange. What the fuck? East is the Orange, difference? I would be, I would be in real big trouble. West <laughs> Orange, yeah. You know. East Orange, you, you better get the. East Orange, I'm hanging out with Latifah, who grew up there. Okay. Yeah. Listen, but uh, it's close enough. Yeah. Listen, uh, uh, a kid from West Orange, okay, uh, would make it uh, this far, uh, traveling around, making so many deals. You know, it's funny, uh, thinking about like. You, you know, you and your journey. It's like you could. You, it's funny. I, I, I'm not sure who quoted you on this, but it says that you could be considered the most powerful, invisible man on the planet. You know, uh, not always worried about like the credit, but where your mega deals uh, speak for themselves. Yeah, I think. You know? I think. I think it's one of the reasons why people laugh that I'm not that old, but I'm on zero social media. I've never been on Facebook. Never been on Snapchat. Never been on. How about I'm not even on LinkedIn. Really? Nothing. Well, a zero needs, that, zero that social change. media. That needs to change soon. I you want to know what? I've been friends and family have been trying to talk me into it, and I I think it's a time suck, yeah. especially at this point in my life with three young kids that. I have no interest in what my friend from third grade went on vacation and what he ate. Yeah. If I want to get in touch with my friend from third grade, I'll find his phone number very easily on the internet. I will call him and say, what the fuck's up? I don't want, to me, I also don't need the average guy on the street when I walk by knowing who I am, having to talk. Look, you talked about a couple of your, your former guests who I go to dinner with all the time, and they get interrupted 37 different times. I'm a fan. I want to talk to you. Hey, can I give you my card? I sit there right with them, and nobody wants to talk to me. Yeah, yeah. Unless you know who I am, you don't know who I am. Well, if, and, you, well, if you know, you know. Yeah, that's. And by the way, being Oz behind the curtain has it, it, always been my philosophy because I'd rather give credits to the talent, give credit to the agency, give credit to the brand. Sure. As long as I'm getting paid and doing the deals, you know... That's all that really. That's all that really mattered to me. I mean, it's not, you know. And part of you, you know, I sit there with my wife, we'll watch an ad, and I did. I'm be like, honey, I did that ad. That was good. That was yeah, good, yeah, right? Yeah. And she was like, yeah, good job. But like, I, I I never needed anybody else to know about it. It was kind of an inner satisfaction, and you know, you're right. I I could have been and still could be probably a lot richer and a lot more successful. If I decided to broadcast my accomplishments, that people could go on the internet and be like, "Oh, he did this. Oh, he did that." Uh, you know, my my the famous quote was all the way back in almost ten years ago now by Forbes, calling me the biggest buyer of talent and music in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, I've hung my hat on that one phrase because I still am, and I and I still believe I am, but. That's all I need. I say, somebody, you want to know who I am? I go, I put my name in Google and I have a couple articles, a couple videos, but you're not going to find me on Instagram. No. Uh, 
showing you my family and going on vacation or drinking a mimosa or, or sitting with that and sitting with Diddy uh, on a yacht being like check me out because, smoking a joint yeah I, well that definitely not but at the end of the day <laughs> at, at the end of the day uh, hugs not drugs that's my motto yeah for sure uh, at the end of the day though I really believe that to try to have a normal life nowadays that what matters most is that I can do what I want, when I want, how I want to do it, with my kids, go to meetings when I want, not go to meetings, play golf if I want, go to be with my kids every day. That, you're richer than anyone else in the world. If you can wake up every day and essentially almost do whatever the hell you want to do that day and be with the friends that you want to be with, take the meetings you want to take, Decide to do something. Do nothing. Sit on a couch and, and binge on Netflix. You can do it. To me, I don't need any more money to do that. I don't need to be famous to do that. And again, I, I because I'm around celebrities so much because of my job, I mean, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. I just, it's, it's, it's crazy to me. Uh, before you became, before you became, you know... Uh such a, a big wig, so to speak, yeah. meaning, right? You, How the fuck did you balance your life? Because I, I agree with that, and I've been. it's a process that I've been trying to get to, and I've had some taste of that, meaning uh, picking up my daughter from school uh, for years. Like, what, what, like, when I look back, man, that was so great, you know what I mean, that I was able to do that, like, you know what I mean, because of being a freelancer. And, and you know, uh, you, you know some, some years were good, some years were yeah. tough, right? But at the end of the day, like, I, I went to every one of her fucking uh, ballet yeah. classes, and I was the only guy there, and that shit. That shit and I'm typically look at my kids' beautiful. stuff. I'm one of the only guys there, and I kind of look around at the moms. That's and also, the moms probably look at me and be like, "Does this guy work?" Yeah. Because again, most people don't know what I do, or they've heard sure, rumors sure. in town, and it's kind of like, you know, either that or oh, I feel bad. Is he unemployed? Or yeah, you know, yeah. I, I don't know what they're thinking. Or his wife must be working yeah. or something. But, but you know, but, but but I don't know where. I don't know. I mean, to answer your question seriously, I don't know where. It came from because you sit and you think about that. And again, it goes back to, I mean, I hate to default and say it was my parents, but like the fact that my friends that would go out on the weekends and I legitimately would go home and stay with my parents on the weekend, even when I was successful, I enjoyed doing it. It was, I didn't, it wasn't a forced thing. Like, Oh my God, if I'm not home with my parents and see my sister that I'm going to get in trouble or they're going to be mad at me. It's legitimately on Friday nights. I wanted to get out of the city, cross that bridge or tunnel and just be at home, breathe five minutes slower, you know, at least five minutes slower. But like, you know, and I think, you know, I catch myself because you know, look, I, you can't deny everybody's got some kind of ego, especially if you're doing well. And I'll see people that have done one twentieth, one one hundredth of what I did, and they're getting all the accolades and being quoted and going on TV and on their Instagram. And part of me sits there and is like, shit, should I just fucking do it and just let people know that that guy does in like a week? I do in a week what that guy does all year. And... So you would it's hate an ego. Then. You would hate social media. Oh, dude. Like, you I, see, especially a guy who, and it's, I, I totally You want to talk about faking until you make it. I mean, there's so many fakers. I mean, and then I didn't even know about these things. This is how, I mean, I probably have like seven apps on my phone. Like, I just got Uber on my phone and Waze. 
Uh, I have no oh, apps. I got nothing. Yeah, they're, they're terrific. And the weather app, I think you automatically get that. Um, so so at, at, at the end of the day, though, my wife will show me pictures of people. I'm like, that's not even them. I was with them a week ago. They're like, oh, yeah, now on Instagram you can slim the legs and make their cheekbones in and change the hair. And I'm like, so basically, these, or you see these people on vacation. I love my wife. And I'm like, I, I, I talked to John last week. He's getting a divorce. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand how he's into heat with his family, you know, uh, praising his wife. I'm like, you want to talk about some fake stuff? I, I think it's it's beyond entertainment. And I don't know if I could even do that. But but first of all, I, I think the bigger you get, and especially from a celebrity standpoint or a business standpoint, people want to see you fail. It's human nature. Yeah. The take, bigger take, you get, down. people want to take you down. Mm -hmm. And luckily... Maybe in my industry, people want to take me down, but most people don't want to take me down. I'm still going bowling and eating at the diner, and you know, I, I'm happy just as going to Olive Garden as I am Cipriani. So it's that kind of balance that when you don't have those two people, and again, going back to my dad and treating people with respect and treating the janitor like you treat the CEO, and and standing up for women at a table, and and you know, treating a waiter with ultimate respect sure. and thank you and please and you know, you gotta, you gotta be a good guy. Of course, I don't want you going to Olive Garden no more. No, by the by the way, I, I don't think I'm allowed to because I don't know the carbs or the breadsticks. But it's it was always case. a good day. when they when they closed on 23rd. I, I, I still got out back on 23rd. They closed Olive Garden, but they but my, my grandmother's going to be 98, and my mother. You come over, you have a nice Italian meal. You don't go to Olive Garden no more. So but Olive Garden's not real Italian. You're telling no. me? No, you're ruined. You're crushing my dreams. Uh, but listen, listen. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but but ch check this out. What I really want to get to is is I think you should go on social, not only because you got a lot of things upcoming, right? And I understand the fakeness. I totally agree with yeah. what you're saying. I've seen it myself. I, I've seen guys that uh, talk about their wife is a fucking piece of shit, and they're on the fucking saying how much they love her. It, listen, I've seen it, okay? But one thing I like about you is 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 your what your journey and what you have been able to do is very inspiring and then you also pay it forward a lot what you could do uh, and what are, are doing as well is yeah. inspire other you know young kids that were well, well look at how we even connected i yeah. mean I, what i've always done is you know i had very little turnover at any of my companies uh that i was a part of or a founder of um and it's because if someone didn't want to be there, I didn't want them there. Sure. And I would say, you're not happy here. What's your dream? What do you want to do? And if they were a good employee and a nice person, I would back them. I've backed you know, 30 different former either employees or friends that had a good idea and that I believed in them and you bet on the jockey. And I was like, look, you, you were successful in this. You're not happy anymore. I had a buddy of mine who sold media for a Hispanic channel, want to be in the clothing business. Or even our buddies, Abla, who put us together. He said, I believe in this whole, that social media is going to be even bigger and that influencers are going to be bigger. I want to start an agency. Hey, Mark, here you go. Sure, or, or my friends, you know who who wanted to start a nightlife company like, like uh, Dave Grubman and 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 said, hey, this guy is one of the most talented motherfuckers I've ever seen. Treats treats me like a rock star, and I'm a nobody. This is a guy I need to Miami. help back and be in business with in Miami. I have had other people who start event marketing companies, music strategy companies, golf companies, ketchup companies. You know, for me, for me again, I'm betting on the jockey. I'm betting on the person. And if you were loyal and you were hardworking and you were a good person and I believe in you, 
I'm going to back you. And I think that's come a long way that I can trace back. And when people, when they succeed, it's kind of like the ultimate succession. My buddy, you know, I and, and I don't want to say I got the idea from him. There's a guy I never even met before, Julian Robertson, who who had a uh, one of the biggest hedge funds of the time, investment companies called Tiger. And they used to call him Tiger Cubs. And I think they still do. Where when someone wanted to leave and start their own fund, he would seed them the money. And he would be their first investor and said, I believe you. You ran in that sector for me. You don't want to be here anymore. I'm going to back you. And I'm going to I'm gonna be part of your fund. And that's what I kind of feel. Like if you worked for me or worked around me or you were a client of me and, and I believe in you as a person, I don't care if it, you want to start a toilet paper company. If I believe in you, I'm going to back you. Sure. And I've done that so many times, and it actually does bring me amazing satisfaction that, that almost every one of them has succeeded, and some more successful than others, but they're doing it, and they're, and they're following what makes them happy. Because I think what we learn in today's kind of world is that life is short. It's short. And I think, you know, everybody busts on millennials a little bit or Gen Z or whatever you want to, whatever the term is now about they job hop and they care more about, you know, life experiences, the material things and this and that. Like, you know, I, I think I think it's actually great. I mean, uh, to me, if that's what brings them happiness, that they can get three months paid leave to go to, you know, New Zealand. Terrific. Sure. And they want to work in an open platform and play foosball and have unlimited vacation and massages. Great. You can do it. And that's what makes you happy. T- terrific. You know, I-, I don't know that way. You know, I, I actually look back and. I'm upset because when I travel the world and I had clients all over the world, I wish I would have experienced more. Instead, if I was in a hotel in China or or Australia or France, it didn't really matter to me because I didn't sightsee. I went in, I did my meeting, I stayed overnight, and I got the fuck out of Dodge. So I wish more that I would have experienced stayed more, an extra day stayed an extra day or two, or seen things or done things, but I was so focused on the prize that, that it didn't matter to me. And... I wanted to go in, do a deal, and leave. Uh, it's also why I didn't get married till I was 37, first kid at 39, next kid at 41, next kid at 44. I would have been a horrible husband, a horrible father if I would have gotten married in my 20s or, or, or early 30s. I was on the road 150 days a year, and I was out till 2 in the morning every night. What? How, how are you, you going to be a good husband and father and, and, and do that? I would have been uh, been divorced nine times. So you, you, you I mean, you, obviously you were aware of that, but you stayed away from it. Because like, when did you figure the time was ready? Because there's never no time. Like, well, what, my my time was. I'm I'm very lucky. And with shout out to my wife of our. It's our 10 year anniversary coming up on May second. So right around the corner. But you know, I always told people I was going to be a young dad. I was going to be like, I'm going to have eight kids. I'm going to be a young dad. I'm going to. Didn't happen. It didn't happen because I was a little materialistic and superficial, and every girl I dated looked the same, and were all from either Scandinavia or Eastern European, and no one was under 5'10 ever. And uh, again, going back to no one ever told me I was 5'7, 5'8. So, you know, once I realized that, again, maturity of, you know, look, my wife is, I'm not just saying this, she's just as hot as any supermodel I know. My wife is gorgeous, cool, 
raised in she in, in London. She's she's then. the she's the best. But the reality of it is is and I believe it, and I love her just as much today as when I married her. And the best mom, best wife, mm. but I also had to realize that like it's not just about that girl on your arm. Like, am I really going to go to the Czech Republic and hang out over Christmas? Right? Like, is that really what I want my life to be? Or, you know, hey, you know, these models, their career is, is even shorter than some sure, NFL sure. players. Uh, is that what I really and, want? And it's a home. It's a home. It's about having, like, that's one thing I've learned uh, over the years. It's even about a home of having uh, uh, the little things in life that mean everything. And, and sometimes when you're, you know, and being a partnership, you know, to, to raise a kid. Look, uh, I raised she's... my first kid. You know, separate. Se- I was separated. And by the way, if you ever told me I was going to be back and living in West Orange, New Jersey, now at forty-seven with three kids, I would have told you you were crazy. I would have said well, L.A. You, you were going to be L.A. L.A. Miami. You know, do 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 the social triangle. New York, L.A., Miami would have been my triangle, Tri-coastal. and just and just and living the dream. And uh, you know, again, it's something that pulled me back. And uh, my parents are five minutes down the street. My sisters in Short Hills. But like, look, if you want to get a talk about what still drives you though it's the deal it's putting together deals it's doing deals it's making shit happen and looking back and be like i put that shit together that's that's what still every day drives me to do deals and go to work and i might not be going to an office every day but i'm on the phone every day doing deals and i still am as passionate about my job and about businesses and investing in companies and helping companies and advising companies than I than I've ever been. You know, you 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 speak about your kids and your wife, uh, um, you know, and and the success you had. But what what did you, what did you do or what do you still do? Like you know, with with money, like meaning, like was this something that you bought, like you know, that when you felt it, like you say, you know, I'm gonna buy this, and you know. Oh yeah, I bought. I, I bought. If you look at my watch, my Timex, which I've had for 20 years. Yeah, yeah I'm a big. Uh, That's very simple. I'm a bit. Ba- I, I am. Uh, uh, I'm not going to say I, 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 I am a Warren Buffett who, like, eats at McDonald's, wears a, a Timex, and drives a shitty car. Uh, but the material things didn't didn't matter. I, I, I'm fortunate to have a nice house in West Orange, New Jersey. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm not a car guy. I'm not a jewelry guy. I'm not a I'm not a clothing guy. I'm no. not a sneakerhead. I, I wore I wore I wore my same Adidas. I swear to God that I've been wearing to the gym for eight years. Uh, I just, you know, to to me, uh, my wife's not cheap. I spend money on my wife. Okay. Uh, but if you want to talk about where I, I, I really spend it, I invest. And, okay. uh, you know, again, tennis is my passion. With two partners, I bought uh, one of the oldest tennis clubs in South Orange, New Jersey, uh, less than a year ago. That now How's we just announced Unreal. Uh, it's one of the second oldest uh, club in tennis club in, in in the United States from 1880. People have won there like McEnroe, O'Connor, Stolle. You know, it has amazing history, and we've brought it back to life. And now uh, this this week, you can read we hired David Burke as our executive chef to do the food. Okay, yeah. Really uh, we have Aaron Krikstein, a damn, famous I touring pro. Food. I don't well, play well, I I again was hoping for the Olive Garden chef. They upgraded. No, no. I got overruled. Don't do that. Uh, and, I don't and, make those decisions. But at the, at the end of the day, stu- stuff like like that, uh, you know, I, I spend my money on because it's a passion. And if I ever make money on the club, I don't know. But I love it. It's 10 minutes down the road. I love tennis. I love people. And I think we'll be we'll be successful uh, in, in, in that. And, uh, you know, really, 
is it, is it bad to say I'm a saver? I'm no, a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a saver. I want my kids. I think, you know, for me, I want my kids knowing and, and my grandkids knowing that if they want to be a doctor, great. But if they want to be a math teacher in a local high school, that they're not going to have to worry about paying rent or having a car or going on to Disney World with their family. Uh, you know, I think it's that freedom that I want my three kids to have and their kids uh, is what continues to drive me to try to have a little more financial sure. success. You know, because that ability to truly wake up, uh, putting myself in my kids' shoes, to be able to do whatever you want, knowing that you have to work. Nobody's handing you a check when you turn 18 and say, hey, go, go out and buy that Porsche. And by the way, yeah. go in the city and buy some bottles. I don't mean that. But I mean, having, I'll, I'll probably go buy my son a, a used Chevy Blazer. That's a big car when he turns 18 or 17, however sure. old it is now. Uh you know that that's what you want. You want you want for your kids to to do that, and you want to go though to nice restaurants and all, and make have nice trips. And sounds again cliche. It's about the experiences. I want to, you know, experience life. You know, I have lunch with my wife once a week at home. We go to the wherever our local places yeah, are, and to me that's amazing. But I don't, I don't really like a lot of stuff money wise. Oh, no, it's amazing. It's the little things in life. Let me ask you, uh, as we continue on, how did the, uh, how did the, we spoke about Oprah going to Weight Watchers. How did DJ Khaled, uh, how did that happen? That was, that was crazy. I was actually, I give all the credit to the CEO, Mindy Grossman, who's a, who's a, who's a beyond dynamo powerhouse CEO. Forget about the, she's a woman. She's just a powerhouse CEO. You don't even have to say woman with her. And, you know, she used to run home shopping and she was at Ralph Lauren. And, uh, you know, I had done DJ Khaled's deal with T-Mobile uh, a couple years back when Snap, when he was like the king of Snap, which I think he still is the king of Snapchat. But, uh, you know, we did some deals with him on behalf of T-Mobile, who I just finished doing a Drake deal with and a couple other people. Now, now, and, not to cut you off, but do they, do they, do they get like... Uh, are they saying, "Hey, we want DJ Cal, we want Drake"? Or uh, Drake, get, Drake, yeah. th Drake was actually the creative's idea at T-Mobile, and uh, uh, I have an amazing relationship with him and his manager, Future. And uh, you know, he's actually becoming unaffordable unless he's got an equity or just eight figures. You know, he he's a tough one. But you want to talk about a wonderful human being and talented? I mean, there's there's. I put Drake right up there with the best of sure. them. And his manager, Future. There's not a more humble, hardworking manager and more of Drake's partner than Future. Uh, and it was been with him as one of his old school guys from Canada. You know, he's the best. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, they'll come up with great creative. And again, it just makes it easier that I have a relationship. Uh, and with Khalid, you know, I'd booked him back when he was making $5,000 doing bar mitzvahs in Sweet 16. So I had a little bit of a relationship with him uh, pre Rock Nation and yeah, yeah, Jay Z yeah. back in. Him and now, Lenny now is manager, is bigger. much bigger. And and you want to talk about a hard worker? Good for him. Good for him. And at the end of the day, we finished a great deal with T-Mobile. Uh, he had to do a lot of work for it. Uh, uh, some side by stories for another later time. But but you know, just a guy who really did the work. And you know, I think Mindy said, you know, we you know we we want to target men who can move the needle. 
uh, not not just with the minority communities, but men in general. And Khaled, you know, appeals to all guys, all guys, you know, like sure. Khaled. I mean, the guy's not only a talented producer, but what he's been able to do with his social prowess is unbelievable. So they came up with the idea, not me. And, they, you know, you can negotiate against Rock Nation, who are not always the easiest to negotiate against. I mean, they got they got some some tough negotiators in there. So whether it's Michael Yormark or whether it's Dez or whether it's Jay Brown or whether it's Lenny, you know, these guys aren't easy. Uh, you know, they want to get their artists paid. So those are always my hardest negotiations. And they just get bigger and more powerful every day, Rock Nation. Uh, so I kind of, when I see it's a Rock Nation client, part of me is happy because I got a good relationship with them. Part of me cringes because I know they're not going to, you know, take a dollar. Yeah. So uh, I think they wanted they wanted him. He really moved the needle. We re-upped him, and he's been an unbelievable advocate. He's on the program. He's losing the weight. But, again, I, I can't take any credit other than just – Sure, Do sure. it, doing a deal and knowing that when they asked about him saying he's a great guy and if he can stay on the program and get healthy and eat grilled chicken and sitting in while he's lying in Miami looking at palm trees and hanging out with his son, if he can eat well, you know, he's got a chef, he can cook. Yeah. You know, th- this is a guy who's going to lose a lot of weight. Sure. And he's funny. You know, uh, what, what are some, obviously in that business, there's a lot of sensitivity. There's a lot of emotional uh, problems at times. I'm like meaning like it's almost like I'm sure you have to deal with some deals that are headaches. So you know, I mean, the the person's not there. The person didn't deliver. The person's requesting 17 bottles of fucking uh, yeah. You know, uh, uh, this. What has been one where you like? You, well, it's every, every every day of my life. By the way. We're talking about it during break. What, what do I really do for a living? What's my real job? If you really boil down to it, I solve problems with enthusiasm. That's it. I wouldn't have a job if any talent, any company could call any talent agency or manager or the talent themselves and say, here's how much I want to pay. Here's what I want you for to do. And they say, okay, sounds great. I, I wouldn't have a job. There is nothing but problems. That's why I tell my staff and my teams and all the companies I, I, I've had, guys, no one is not curing cancer. And it's, again, sounds cliche. Nobody's dying. Okay, we didn't get Celebrity X in a commercial. We didn't get to license that piece of music. Okay. That's it. That's the worst that could happen. So let's 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 get real on what we're really doing here. Getting getting celebrities to hawk products for people to buy. Right? <laughs> let's, let's really be real of what I do for a living. Uh, so it's not going to be Brooke Shields. It's going to be Ava Longoria. Oh my God! Disaster. Um, so, so at the end of the day, it's nothing but problems. It's oh my God, the one guy who owns two percent of the publishing's in Zimbabwe, and I can't get in touch with them. It's oh my God, Naomi Campbell is my girl, so shout out to her. You know, it's like my sister. Uh, it's Naomi Campbell saying, "Well, I know the watch was just for the ad, but can I keep the watch?" No, Naomi, you can't keep the watch. Um, Send it back. So, so you know, uh, well, why can't I keep? the watch ryan please well naomi it's a hundred fifty thousand dollar watch but it looks so nice on me okay story for another day but people miss planes people fuck up their lines people tell you that they love burgers and you find out they're very vegetarian again you know there's nothing nothing but problems every day all day you got somebody who's really worth 100 grand that thinks they're worth 10 million you got an agent that wants to prove it to a client that he's going to get you that extra dollar when he's not worth that extra dollar you got even talent who have so many people representing them 
that you got to deal with seven different people have to concur for you to get a deal done because it's their lawyer, it's their agent, it's their dad, it's their makeup artist, it's their best friend, it's their publicist. And you're like, you know, but part of what I do is I got to know who to go to. I got to know in every case who's going to get me the job done and knowing that I'm going to probably piss the other five people off by not going to them. Sure. What about like uh, private jets? Some people they gotta have private jets. They gotta have. Oh, of course, of course. And by the way, it's usually the the the, the B and C list people who require the private jets, not really? the A list. It's very funny. The bigger the people are, the usually less demanding they are. You would think it would be the opposite, but it goes back to my velvet rope. It's the people who are B, C, and D list who try to act like they're A list and are the biggest divas. You're like, dude, you were on a reality show three years ago that got canceled. And like, well, who gives them the reality? I mean, anybody? Because keep in mind, I was on, I was on the real world for four years, and I won real world road rules challenge, and you know, I want the jet, and you're like. That's okay. I'm going season nine now. Thank you very much for playing. We're not going to go with you. Uh, you know, very, 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 very funny. But but it, it's, look, then, look, you read about, like, oh, does J-Row really only like green M&Ms in the gray room? Look, you know, that might be tr- not be true. Benny Medina might want only green M&Ms. And you got to know that if you want to deal with J-Lo, you better get along with Benny Medina because he's a badass motherfucker and doesn't take shit. You gotta, you gotta know that you want J Lo. You better woo Benny first, and you better talk straight and not bullshit with Benny on how much money you have, what you're getting for his client, because no one's gonna fight harder for J Lo than Benny, mm. right? So you just gotta know. It goes back to relationships. I gotta know that if I want to book J Lo and there's only one suite in that hotel, I'm not putting her in that hotel because I need gotta make sure Benny gets a suite too. Mm. And I'm saying that out of love and out of respect for him, not out of animosity. But you got to know the ins and outs. Sure, sure. And that takes seasons. That takes years. It's experience. Again, that's why every Joe Blow thinks they can book talent, you know, and sells it that I'll do it cheaper than him or I know the talent. And, you know, like the guy rode in an elevator with somebody once and that's the guy who says, oh, he's my best friend. Right. You, You met him once. You had one dinner of 50 and he was in the room and you're like, oh, I know him. Like you don't know shit. But that's just that's a lot of people thinking today. You know, it's funny when you think about Pepsi and we spoke about dealing yeah. with them, and I and, and there's no stupid question, but I think so. You know, the point I'm making is you think about like why why does Pepsi say call you when they could call Diddy themselves? Well, right? back well back in the day, it's an easy question. It's a you know r- reality. There's a gentleman who's passed named Alan Potash, who's you know kind of like was their barometer of pop culture. Not a better guy out there, not a smarter guy out there. Really had his pulse on pop pop culture, worked at Pepsi. But I think that whether it's Pepsi or whether it was Microsoft or whether it was any of the clients I had, it goes back to realizing that, again, I'm buying on behalf of, at the time, 40 companies doing a quarter of a billion dollars in deals a year, that they're going to do better with me. And plus, by the way, they want to have a good relationship. They don't want to fight at the time. If you go back to Brittany with Larry Rudolph and get in a fight with him, and they want it so it's nice and easy that when we're on the set, that Larry loves them, that Brittany loves them, you know, that it doesn't matter. Sure. And at the same time, they know, like anybody else knows, I'm going to get a better deal. I know what they're worth. I can tell you history of them. I can tell you who's hot and who's not. I can tell you who wants deals, who doesn't want deals. I can tell you who's going to be a pain in the ass and who's not going to be a pain in the ass. And it's nothing you can look up on Wikipedia. 
Sure, sure. Right? Anybody can go nowadays. I mean, remember, I started pre-internet, really. Uh, but anyone can go nowadays and say, wow, that person's with CAA. Let me call CAA. How much for that person? But it's knowing how to deal with it, how to massage it, what the worth is, and so and, and what they'll the do and what they don't do so you don't get ripped off. Yeah. I mean, that that's it. And by the way... Do you know I never, until Omnicom had bought my company in 2004, I had never even had a contract with any corporation. I had a handshake. And I always said to them, shake my hand, you're my client. The minute you don't want to be my client anymore, stop using me. Lose my number. Call me, at least give me the courtesy and say you don't want to work with me and tell me why. But you don't have to work with me. So when Omnicom tried to buy my company in 2004, they were like, where's all your contracts? I'm like, handshakes. Like, Handshakes? We're buying handshakes? I'm like... Look at my track record. You want to buy what I got or you don't? But when they bought me, then I had to start doing contracts because they're like, we're a publicly traded company. Uh, But but that was the same way I treated titles. And I know I'm jumping all over the place, but for years and years in any of my companies, I... We had no titles. You couldn't call yourself the CEO. You couldn't call yourself the president. You couldn't call yourself the CFO. You want to be vice president of music and you're 22 and just worked with me? Write down on your card your vice president of music. Right? No problem. If that helps you close deals and helps you at night get clients and gives you legitimacy, what do I care? There was no hierarchy. It doesn't sure, sure. mean I'm going to pay you 200 grand. It just means put whatever you want on your card. And if it helps you hook up, even better. I'm a vice president. <laughs> Good for you. The the ones the people I got worried about was the people who wanted, I said, you want a $10,000 raise or you want to be vice president on your card? They'd be like, vice president. I'm like, Good. Save myself 10 grand. <laughs> Those are the same people who are faking their Instagram stories. That's, that's, that's yeah. They weigh 250. They look like they weigh 180 on Instagram. So at, at, at the end of the day, though, you know, again, it's still today. People ask the same question. Why use you? Why can't we do it ourselves? And again, it goes back to, I'm going to save you money. I'm going to save you a lot of headache and I'm going to make deals happen. And if I can't make that deal happen, no one can. If you go back and you want to, a while ago, you said, what are some of the biggest deals? Forget about the biggest deals. The ones I'm the most proud of, I was the first one to put Metallica in a spot. I was the first one to use a Prince song in a spot for Chevrolet. Metallica was with AOL, small company at the time called AOL. You know, I was the first one to do so many things. Keep on going. And, Keep on going. Oh, I mean, uh, you know, first one to put, you know, Cindy Crawford or Sofia Vergara, the first one to, you know, uh, it, it, you know, off the top of my head, I don't even know. But like, there was so many firsts that people said, you can't get that person. You can't get that piece of music. First one to put Dre in an ad. Mm. You want to talk about. You know, at the time, this was when Dre was Dre, not yeah. Beats Dre. Yeah. Uh, MWA. First one to put, like I talked about, whether it was Usher, whether it was Pharrell in his first ad. Like, you know, you look back and you're like, you know, Sofia Vergara did Pepsi when she was a, a teenager in Brazil. And then when Sofia got on Desperate Housewives, you want to talk about a shout out, Louise, who changed the whole, that's a guy you should have on. You want to change who made Latin cool. What Tommy Mottola did in music, Louise, that story is for another day, but but he made Latin celebrity cool. Ooh. So, well, well, it doesn't matter. He he was the one to consolidate. No, no, you said who? Well, he was Sofia Vergara's manager okay. who broke the code like Kurt Flood did with free agency. What he did was he broke the code with Telemundo and Univision and said, these people aren't slaves. You can't just sign them like the old 
uh, Hollywood studios to, to, to 10 year contracts and you're basically a slave. He won that court case and then everybody signed with him. But you want to talk about Sophia Vergara. She goes on. I redid her Pepsi deal. We did CoverGirl. We did Mercedes. We did Gillette. We did Burger King. She was my go-to. You want to talk about a great person, a spokesperson who works her ass off and deserves beyond the success she's having. Uh, you know, it's unbelievable. I was joking with Louise the other day because she was in our Head and Shoulders ad, and I no longer work with, with, with Head and Shoulders, but, you know, he's been in the ads now for a bunch of years, and when I met him, he was a little kid, and now he's like a grown adult the ads with her, and I'm like, Jesus. God, I'm getting old. No, I I still can't believe I'm not 23 anymore. You know what happened? Head and shoulders have rubbed you the wrong way? No. You wonder what, uh, when I, if you want to talk about where we are today and bring it all together, is that yeah. I work with a handful of companies now, probably 20. I have a small consulting group that what works that? with uh, Mayflower? Mayflower Entertainment, where, again, we're, I'm a little more choosy about the, the clients I work with and, and can afford to be. Uh I want to work with great people, great clients, a lot of my former clients. And uh, for the past three years, uh, you know, my partner, Lindsay May, who you want to talk about a dynamo, uh, this woman worked actually for Patrick Whitesell and worked at Endeavor. And then I brought her over to Platinum Rye, worked for me for over a decade. And when I decided to leave Omnicom and leave Platinum Rye uh, three years ago and wanted to start a company, I said, I'm starting it with you. And she said, well, what do you mean? You're my partner. So what do you mean? said 50 50 she was like what do you mean i said you're gonna be my partner and not only that platinum rye was for ryan for may you know may lindsey may we're gonna call it mayflower i'm gonna name the company after you and i think you know again you want to talk about the hardest workers one of the smartest girls i know it's lindsey otherwise i wouldn't have made her a partner and decided to go on this kind of next journey with her and uh she's unbelievable uh, but again, we're, we're very, I don't want to go through our list of clients because they're active clients, but we have some of the biggest clients of the world, some of the best clients in the world that we're doing, you know, a deal a day for, you know, we'll probably do 500 to 700 deals this year. And, uh, I took the people from my old company who I thought were best in class. Some of them went their own ways or did other things. Um, and Hired some new people who I thought were best in class, but were lean and mean and having just as much fun as we've ever had and, and still doing Super Bowl commercials, still doing appearances, still doing concerts all over the world. And uh, it's it's just as exciting today than when I was 19. When you get cell phone deals, like, you know, from do they give like uh, the client or anybody like, you know, contracts where they don't have to pay for their fucking cell phone? Do you ever get like extra? Yeah, oh, back, back in the day, I remember when we were launching the Razor phone to Motorola, I, you know, everybody, it's like, same thing with the new sneaker, right? Who gets the hot shit first? Yeah. I used to get all the new phones first, and I used to d decide what celebrities and what talent to give it to. And, and that was like gold, man. You want to yeah. talk about, oh, I got the new phone. You know, after StarTac became cool, sure. I, uh, I always got all the new Motorola phones. I got the new Singular Wireless phones. And and we used to used to be like gold. Now nobody gives a shit. When we started with DirecTV first, we'd be like, hey, Ryan Seacrest, and we'll give you free DirecTV for five years <laughs> on top of the 100 grand. And he's like, sold. Microsoft, we're going to set up your entire house. Wait for this. With all Microsoft products. All. We're going to have a, a guy come to your house, wire your house, and do it. People are like, wow. I'd be like, yeah, we're only paying you 300 instead of 400 but we're doing your house. Okay. So I, I think you know that those days have kind of ended other than seeding products, sure, which sure. my company doesn't do. But there's a lot of great companies out there that 
whether it's a new shoe, a new watch, a new soap. Tickets to a game. Yeah, like, you know, that's 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 what they want. I think what we're trying to do now as a company and how the landscape has changed, and I hate to hit it at the end because I can do an hour on this, is, is what deals are like, you know, whether it's royalty deals, whether it's equity deals, whether it's backing people to start their own companies, uh, you know, celebrities you're talking about and raising money for them. I mean, the landscape's changed. Everybody since, so whether, whether it was 50 with vitamin water or Diddy with yeah, Ciroc yeah. Or, or, or Clooney with Casamigos, everybody now wants to own their own shit. Sure. And again, you go back to the B, C, D list celebrities, they want to own their own shit too. And that's even scarier. You're like, dude... We're not doing your, you can't do your own hair product. Nobody knows who you are. Yeah. Like, great. You know, good Good for you. You're on Housewives. You don't have the capacity to make money doing that. You know? So, I think at the end of the day, it's also now talking to these celebrities over the ledge. Unless I get equity in the company, you're like, Tide is not giving you equity to do that ad. Uh, but everybody thinks they're a business person now, which is a challenge I have. You know, like when people read about LeBron owning Blaze Pizza, I don't want to do pizza ad. I want to own my own pizzeria like LeBron. Well, you know, when you average eight points a night and you've been in the league two years, you know, and you're seventh man on the bench, it's very hard for you to have ownership over the over sure. Pizza Hut sure. or Domino's. So I'm, I'm very sorry to tell you. So, again, it's that's the biggest challenge is people hear and read about equity and starting businesses. And it's almost like Vegas. You hear about the success. Pizza sold for billions. Please, pizza. Casamigos. I won a hundred grand in Vegas this weekend. Well, you don't read about no none of your friends are calling you and telling you they lost twenty grand in Vegas this weekend. It's only when they win. Same thing. There are so many startups that fail, so many corporations that fail, you know, and like nobody talks about them. So I'm like, look, take the half a million dollars. You're not starting your own beauty company. If you don't want it, good luck. Yeah. I got thirty other people who will take my half million from this company. Yeah. So, you know, that's a great point because, uh, you know, equity is becoming more and more bigger of how people want to get involved. Even, you know, like uh, myself, you know, I have a couple of different contracts where, say, I'm making money. If I'm doing well, uh, I'd rather, you know, the next deal that comes up, I'd rather take an equity deal if possible. Sometimes, to be honest with you, you're right. And I like that. I mean, obviously, Tide's not giving equity, of course. I love the way you put that. Uh, but there are like a lot of say small startups. Some may make some may not, but it's easier to get skin in the game uh, uh, without taking some money if you can afford. Yeah, that. but it's yeah. also easier to get skin in the game with a startup yeah. versus well, an yeah. established brand. Yeah. Of and, course, and I think that again, there's so many startups that fail. I can tell you all day that every one of my investments in startups that hits, they haven't. I have a hell of a lot more wins than losses. Sure. Because I only invest in things that I can help move the needle or have some pop culture angle or could use influencers or celebrity or music or events or concerts, you know, but at the at the end of the day, again, there's failures every, every day and timings, everything and who you are is everything. And again, when someone gives you equity, I mean, you're stuck with you. They are stuck. Yeah. Right. It's not like, hey, after the six month, if you sucked, you're out. Yeah. So, you know, it takes a it takes a lot. And again, some startups are into it and feel like it'll help them get to the next level quicker and others aren't. Yeah. Now, now, uh, as we uh, wind this episode down, you know, the deals that didn't go through. I mean, did you ever get depressed off this shit? Like, did you ever like fucking, you know, where are you depressed? Were, like, how, about, how, how about this? Let's go back to, to let's go back to the roots of it all. When I was in Asia, my best friend in college was a kid, Kevin Carter. It's going to be a surefire top 10 pick. 
He was my best friend. I talked to him every day. I talked to him when he wasn't a top 10 pick. And he said, Ryan, when I graduate, I'm going with you. You have my three other guys on the team. There's no one I'd rather be with. We're going to ride and die together. I was like, this is going to be awesome. Told the world that when he graduated, he was going to be my pick. I got my first top 10. This is going to be sick. Sick. Told my boss, Art Kaminsky. Art, I got a top 10. I'm getting him. Nothing signed because legally he can't. Go down to the go down to the art. I forget which bowl we played in. Some bowl. After the game, I'm sitting there with the contracts. I fly down. Can't wait to tell the world. 6-5. Runs a 4-6. Going to be drafted in the top five, let alone top ten. Crying. Not only that, he was like a 3-8 GPA, zoology major, well-spoken, played jazz, fucking, I think, sax. Not a better guy on paper for me to represent. Unless he was a quarterback. Crying. What's the matter? You're not going to believe it. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I think statute of limitations are over anyway. My dad had been getting a little something from an agent locally, and I can't let down my dad, and I can't sign with you. And I was like, I mean, I used to laugh. He used to send me letters of agent recruiting him, and we used to be like, I can't believe that guy's trying to recruit you. I'm going with you. I mean, craziness. And he goes, but on my next contract, you can do it. So turns out this guy signs him to a six-year, no voidable, horrible contract. Like a month in after, and the way it goes, you do the contract for six years, you get the, that agent gets paid for six years. Yeah. Calls me up a month in, I want you to be my agent. I said, Kevin, I can't make a nickel off you for six years. You're a defensive lineman with the Rams. I think he was like fifth pick overall. It's not like I got a ton of marketing I can do with you. I can do like a car deal, a little shoe deal, maybe a video game deal, an autograph deal. I'm like, I'm going to make like $10,000. I'm like, I I can't sign with you. But what that told me, you want to talk about turning lemonade from lemons. I said, if I can't get my best friend, my best, one of my, legitimately one of my best friends, if I can't get him as a client, I, I shouldn't be in this business. And that's when I started really focusing on marketing because I was like, I don't want to represent talent, man. I, I, I it's my friend for three years, four years, five years, like sure. know his family, know him. And he's not signing with me. Forget this. And it switched my mind, my, my mind and my career. Cause I originally wanted to be, there was no Jerry Maguire when I started, but sure. I, I originally wanted to be the biggest sports agent in the world. Sure. So you want to know about failures. I mean, I, I fail every day. I fuck up almost every day, you know? And again, I go back to what my dad used to tell me, Ryan, you can mess up. Just don't mess up big. Yeah. yeah. So he used to kid around with me and tell me about stealing. He goes, Ryan, if you're going to steal, don't steal a piece of gum. If you're going to steal, really steal and make it worth it. Otherwise, don't steal. He goes, it's not worth stealing, you know? And he would say that sarcastically. But like, you know, every day, and that's what I tell my team now even, guys, you're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. Let's learn from them. Let's not make the same mistake again. But we all mess up. Sure. And we're not, we're not saving lives. Man, let me tell you something. Your story should be a documentary. They should uh, start doing that. And I know you're going to jump. Can, I, can it be a documentary where, where they don't see me kind of like that, that, 
That that where you got to see all, the stuff you have. Done, I'm in the shadows. The stuff you have done, people got to see. I would love yeah. to see a day in the life of Ryan. Schoen. Well, I think I think my good friend and former guest of yours, Gary V, for uh, my friend for 15 years, who has been trying to get me on social media, who has been well, trying gonna, to get you, me you're to. You're not trying. You're going to be on social. No, media. No, no, I, I don't know. Somehow, I, some way. I, I don't know, but he came to me, and and I have finally agreed to to kind of take after the premium pizza of the world and and the Gary V's of the world and he's convinced me to do a podcast That's of correct. my own which which I'm going to start this summer again very hesitant to do it do we have a name yet but uh I think he wants to call it the entertainment brandfather okay either like that, that or the OG brandfather I think we're still tinkering it uh tinkering it with it but Again, because I have so many stories. Sure. I mean, legitimately, this podcast could go on for weeks if you right. wanted me to, and I don't get tired. I'll just keep going. And I think that, again, I never felt comfortable before because they were my clients and they were active deals. But in this stage of my life, I'm still not ready to write a book. Or I, When I'm like 75, God willing, I'll write a book. But... I think there are stories that people will want to know and follow and really know the backstory, right? Like you all always see, like behind the music, sure, behind sure. the band, behind, behind this. Scenes, yeah. Like what really happened? How did this happen uh, on individual deals or with clients? And I think it's going to be half CMOs and CMO, CEOs and half talent and their agents. Sure. Kind of how deals sure. came together and how it worked and some funny stories. And- I want you to look at it like this, right? Uh, some people are very hesitant on uh, doing a podcast because there's so many out there, but at the end of the day, there was so many fucking agencies out there. There was so many other fucking things out there. There's, everything is saturated, right? So so some people, not saying you, but some people are like, eh, I don't know if I... Think of it this way. It's your own radio, you know, and, and, and that's exactly what it is. And people get the chance to listen to it when they want, how they want. Uh, why they want. If if you want regular radio right now, uh, and you were shouting out Gary V, he or you were shouting out your wife, she would have to be, uh, be up at six in the morning or eight in the yeah. morning, whatever the fucking time. And if she wasn't listening, she didn't hear it. Now they could hear your stories, and it's almost like well, it's not even that. It's also a way to give back. I mean, guys like Jim Sabia, who aren't my client now, is the head of Constellation, who stuck with me at, at, at Coors. Or guys, you look at I look at my buddy Sean Gleason, who's the head of Dave and Buster's, who was with me at Pizza Hut. He was with me at Dr Pepper, and you know, or Maurice, who I gave a shout out to, or any of my clients, or you know, like these people have done some amazing things in not just town and music, but in business. So for me to be able to share. Maybe the hesitant stories that they're sharing and the experiences we had kind of together. You know, John Gieselman at DirecTV, you know, came, we came together with an idea that, hey, if we're going to spend a billion dollars, you know, promoting the NFL, let's do something at Super Bowl. And it became Super Bowl DirecTV Saturday night that's televised. That's crazy. Like, you want to talk about a crazy story. You know, it's two guys in a room being like, what should we do? And and to see that come to life is amazing. And give people a chance to see the, uh, you know, the the main. Of that, you know. Yeah, and I think that's what people are interested in, not not just the finished result. I'm actually want to help you in the sense if I want to be there the first time you tape, I want to listen to how it sounds. I want to give you advice. I want to. Well, I need I need the advice again. uh, You know, I I I think I'm a decent interview. I don't know if I'm a decent storyteller or interviewer. So uh, we'll work. I'm 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 I'm, you know I'm not I'm never short for words, but at the end of the day, I think it'll be an experience. I think why I was sold on it is like you said, it's like do eight to 
10 episodes. See if you enjoy it. If you like it, keep doing it. Sure. I'm not doing it to make money. I'm not doing sure. it to get business. Sure. I'm, I'm doing it to just give back a little bit. And it sounds hokey, but uh, get back and tell some stories. And if it interests people, same reason why I speak at spools, to try to inspire these business guys to to follow their heart, whatever. Well, listen, Have some fucking fun with it, right? Listen, you, your journey has been, uh, uh, um, I mean, it's still going, obviously, but uh, it, it's been super inspiring. I mean, I remember hearing stories about you rip out uh, uh, um, you know, uh, brands or in oh, magazines. It was crazy. Contact Dude, them. you want to laugh? I still don't travel with a computer, so I'm not like, I, I'm just saying, I, I travel with my phone. When I go on business, like, I don't have a computer at home that I use. I, I don't have yeah. a computer. My wife has a computer. Uh, but back in the day, my buddy and I, Jordan Bergeron, who's at William Morris now, he used to come over. We used to like rip articles. We used to uh, take out like a Sports Illustrator or a Glamour magazine, close our eyes, flip the pages, and... Whatever page we opened to, we had to code call that company to try to get the head of marketing on the phone to do deals. And we, it would be a contest. Who could get the most people on the phone and who could finally get a deal out of it? I mean, you want to talk about old no, that's, school. That's, that's, that's old school. That, that's old school. That's inspiring. And you think about all the deals you did. I mean, listen, let me tell you something. Internet, uh, if you're just hearing of Ryan Shenman, hopefully uh, soon you'll be getting into a podcast that you can hear more and more stories. I mean, I'll be honest with you, it's 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 impossible to get your fucking story out there but I will say this from what I like is that uh, not only is it inspiring but the humility that you mentioned not only with uh, 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 Stephen Baldwin uh, but even more so it's like where it grounded you and made you a better person and, and you didn't just uh, formulate to the normal uh, person who does deals that, that's what I really enjoy like meaning like you made so much more of yourself than that and, 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 well, and, still, tr- yeah. and still trying right yeah. you get better every day yeah Still got still got shit that goes wrong every day. You still could be a better guy sure. every day. You could still do more for people every day. But at the end of the day, I want to wake up like I do now, enjoying every day of life and just getting the most out of it. And th- that's it. But I love the action. I can't Absolutely. stop. I'm an action junkie. Keep, keep on with the action. Now, Mayflower, uh, podcast coming soon. Uh, what else? What else? We got the tennis club. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm just doing things. I'm always making moves, always having fun. And, well, and hopefully I think soon it'll be on Instagram. Okay. That that'll be so, great. But I appreciate the time and again, you know, learning about what you're doing and, and really making these stories come to life is also is also terrific and it, and it's fun and I hope and wish you the best of success. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, Ryan. Cheers. Cheers. Internets, if you enjoyed that episode, then hit me up. That's right. Email me at the premium show at gmail.com. Again, that's the premium show at gmail.com. If you're an advertiser, any big company, small company, startup, whatever it is, you want to advertise on the Premium Peep Show, hit me up. Email thepremiumpeepshow at gmail.com, and we'll, we'll get to working, okay? And if you have a suggestion or you want to hear a certain guest on the show, whatever it is, okay? You know, you could at Premium Pete, at Premium Peep Show on Twitter or Instagram, or for the last time I'll tell you, well, I'm not gonna, it's not the last time, email me. The Premium Pete Show at gmail.com. And let's get to working. Cheers.